progress. Good evening. And I'd like to call to order the regular meeting of the Berkeley City Council for Tuesday, February 14, 2023. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Thank you to the council for being here and staff demonstrates your love for this city. Um, before we proceed to a roll call, I'd like to ask staff to play the COVID-19 meeting announcement court. This meeting will be conducted in a hybrid format pursuant to government code section 54953E and the state declared emergency. This meeting will be conducted through teleconference and Zoom video conference, as well as in-person participation. The COVID-19 state of emergency continues to impact the ability of council members to meet safely in person and presents risk to the health of attendees. Please be mindful that this meeting may be recorded as any public meeting may be recorded and all rules of procedure and decorum apply for persons participating by teleconference, video conference, or in person. To access the meeting remotely using the internet, join from your device using the URL indicated on the agenda for this meeting. If you do not wish for your name to appear on the screen, use the drop-down menu and click on rename to rename yourself to be anonymous. To request to speak, use the raise hand icon on the screen. To join by phone, dial the number indicated on the agenda and enter the meeting ID. If you wish to comment during the public comment portion of the agenda, press star nine and wait to be recognized by the chair. In-person attendees are required to wear a mask that covers their nose and mouth for the duration of the meeting. If you are feeling sick, please do not attend in person. Thank you very much. The first item on our agenda is roll call. I'd like to ask the clerk to please call the roll. Councilmember Kesarwani? Here. Chaplin? Present. Bartlett? Councilmember Bartlett is absent. Harrison? Here. Hahn? Present. Wengraff? Present. Robinson? Present. Humbert? Present. And Mayor Arguin. Present. Quorum of the City Council is present. Thank you very much. Before I proceed with the rest of the agenda, I'd like to read our land acknowledgement statement. And um, several months ago, the City Council adopted a policy that at the first meeting of the month, we will read the land acknowledgement statement, and it is included on every published agenda. So I just want to call attention um, to the statement and the fact that we still are on the unceded ancestral land of the Shoshone speaking Ohlone people. So I'll now read the land acknowledgement statement. City of Berkeley recognizes that the community we live in was built on the, ter the territory of Huchim, the ancestral unceded land of the Chechenyo speaking Ohlone people, the ancestors and descendants of the sovereign Verona band of Alameda County. This land was and continues to be of great importance to all of the Ohlone tribes and descendants of the Verona band. As we begin our meeting tonight, we acknowledge and honor the original inhabitants of Berkeley, the documented 5,000 year history of a vibrant community up the West Berkeley, Shell Mound, and the Ohlone people who continue to reside in the East Bay. We acknowledge that Berkeley's residents have and continue to benefit from the use and occupation of this unceded stolen land since the city of Berkeley's incorporation in 1878. As stewards of the laws regulating the city of Berkeley, it's not only vital that we recognize this history, 
but also recognize that the Ohlone people are present members of Berkeley and other East Bay communities today. The city of Berkeley will continue to build relationships with the Lijan tribe and all tribes to create meaningful actions that uphold the intention of this land acknowledgement. Thank you. So we'll now proceed to ceremonial matters. And um, sadly, um, I'd like to ask that we adjourn our meeting in honor of two of uh, four community leaders tonight. And first, I want to start out by um, acknowledging the very sad news um, that we had heard last week of the sudden passing of Alameda County Supervisor Richard Valle, um, who served for uh, over 10 years on the Alameda County Board of Supervisors representing uh, Southern Alameda County and was an incredible advocate for not just working men and women, but for economic, social, and racial justice. Many of us had the pleasure of working with Supervisor Valle over the years, and uh, his loss um, is, an, is a loss for all of us in Alameda County. And so um, I want to ask that we adjourn our city council meeting in honor of Alameda County Supervisor Richard Valle, send our condolences to his family, to his staff, to his colleagues on the Board of Supervisors, and all of his constituents in District 2. Um, we also learned of the passing recently of Susan Felix, um, a longtime community leader um, who served as the chair of our Civic Arts Commission and um, since 2004 served as the city of Berkeley's unofficial arts ambassador. And I was very honored to work with her when I took office as mayor um, to continue her work as our arts ambassador to not only recognize the work of artists in our community, but to support our arts community. And um, I wanna now turn the floor over to Councilmember Kesarwani, who would like to say a few words about Susan Felix. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Um, Susan Felix was born in Queens on July 23rd, 1937. She was an acclaimed artist and art activist, a ceramicist, a lover of poetry and dance, in addition to being a devoted mother, grandmother, sister, partner, and friend, among the vast array of her many accomplishments, Susan was the director of university housing, a founding member of the Berkeley Cultural Trust, board member of Vital Arts, a nonprofit working to provide East Bay artists with safe and accessible live, work, and performance space, a co-founder of Jewish Arts Community of the Bay, founder and host of Bay Area Artbeat, a cable TV program dedicated to the arts, creator of Ritual Judaica and Berkeley's very own art ambassador. Susan embraced life, love and friendship, found joy and wonder within all aspects of life and saw the role of the artist as continuing the work of creation. For Susan, life was infused with spirituality, which was reflected in both her art and her connections with the people around her. Uh, friends, the arts community, and her congregation. And um, Susan will be sorely missed by all who knew her. Um, I actually recall that uh, during my campaign, I had an opportunity to visit with her at her home at the end of her life. And I just want to wish all of her um, friends and loved ones my deepest condolences. Thank you, Councillor Kesselwan. Another, um, I think, notable achievement that Susan was able to help uh, realize was she played a principal role in the founding of the University Avenue Cooperative Homes on University Avenue. Um, 
um, in the late 70s, early 80s, working with the city of Berkeley to help get that project built, which now provides affordable housing for many families on University Avenue. Um, she was a tremendous advocate for affordable housing, um, for the arts, um, and was just such a really respected part of our, our civic life and our cultural life of our city. And so I'd like to ask um, by unanimous consent that we adjourn our meeting in honor of Susan Felix. Thank you. Um, and now, um, as noted on the agenda, we want to recognize two other Berkeley community leaders who recently passed. The first is Chimmy Lee. And many of us may remember Miss Lee, um, who was a very um, active participant in our um, city council meetings um, and in many community organizations. And um, sadly, we learned of her, her recent passing and council member Bartlett, Vice Mayor Bartlett asked that we um, adjourn our meeting in her honor. I'm going to read a few excerpts from the uh, proclamation that we are providing uh, Ms. Lee's family. And let me share screen. Um, one can see this now. So we want to remember and honor Chimmy Lee for her, her outstanding service to the city of Berkeley. Whereas Chimmy Lee was an involved and beloved community member focusing on community wellness, was involved in community issues, including but not limited to supporting human rights, animal rights and police reform. Ms. Lee came to Berkeley for college and stayed inspired by the peace movement, alternative healthcare and progressive politics and demonstrated her dedication to the city of Berkeley through her active involvement with the Grey Panthers as well as many other community organizations. Ms. Lee was a practitioner in Chinese neuropathic medicine and astrology and was involved in community organizations um, and will be greatly missed and is recognized for her involvement and contributions to the city of Berkeley. So we wish to hereby recognize and thank Chimmy Lee for her dedication, commitment, and service to her community. So uh, we're very saddened to hear of her passing. Um, we greatly um, appreciate her commitment to Berkeley um, and her active involvement in so many social causes. And I'd like to also ask that we adjourn our meeting in her honor tonight as well. And then lastly, we also sadly learned of the passing of Mel Martin, um, who longtime community member, um, resident and leader at the Savile Island Cooperative in South Berkeley, very active in many uh, progressive organizations in Berkeley and was a longtime teacher in the Berkeley Unified School District. So we also want to remember and honor Mel Martin for his outstanding service to the city of Berkeley. And I'll read a few excerpts as well. And we provided a copy of this proclamation to his family also. Whereas Mel Martin was a dedicated, engaged community member, actively participating in topics like education, housing, journalism, and civic engagement. He was a longtime Berkeley resident teacher and activist. Mr. Martin was a teacher at Emerson Elementary, the area vice president for the Berkeley Federation of Teachers was on the Adult Education Committee representing the Berkeley Federation of Teachers and was an ESL teacher at the Berkeley Adult School and actively involved in education organizations. Mel represented South Berkeley residents on the City of Berkeley South Strategic Plan Committee in the 1990s and participated in the development of low-income housing and was president of the board of directors of the Savo Island Cooperative Homes. He was also an active journalist and regular contributor to the Berkeley Times with his column entitled Mel on the Media and was a columnist for the Berkeley Daily Planet. 
We want to recognize and thank Mel Martin for his dedication, commitment, and service to his community. So once again, very sad news. Um, I think many of us know, knew Mel, um, worked with him very closely, and really just admired and appreciated him. And he sure worked on many of our political campaigns. He was a, 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 a tireless campaigner. Um, he often talked about the role he played in electing former council member Margaret Breland, having walked a significant part of District 2 to get her elected, and uh, was just so dedicated to Berkeley and to progressive causes, and we're just so deeply saddened to hear of his passing and want to thank Vice Mayor Bartlett once again for helping arrange this recognition. So once again, by unanimous consent, I'd like to ask that we adjourn our city council meeting in honor of former Alameda County Supervisor Richard Valle, Susan Felix, Chimmy Lee, and Mel Martin. Thank you very much. So that completes our ceremonial calendar. We'll now proceed to city manager comments. I'd like to um, ask our city manager, Dee Williams Ridley, if she has any comments for the council and the public this evening. Thank you, Mr. Mayor and Council. No comments this evening. Thank you. So we'll now proceed to public comment on non-agenda matters. And the way we'll conduct this public comment period is we'll select 10 speakers. And uh, were are there any five speakers in the boardroom? Okay. Okay. So there are six um, uh, members of the public here at the boardroom at 1231 Addison Street who would like to speak on non-agenda matters. We'll then take four raised hands on Zoom for a total of 10 speakers. And given um, the number of speakers pursuant to the city council rules, each speaker will be allotted one minute, but I will be somewhat lenient. So if you wanna get a little bit over, it's not a problem. And so if you can read the names of the speakers um, here in the boardroom, Madam Clerk. Certainly, the speakers in no particular order are Elena Auerbach, Tweed Conrad, Eid Abdallah, David Kamer, Emily, and Nilufar Shambayati. Apologies for any mispronunciations. Okay, thank you. So if any one of those names were called, would like to come forward to start public comment. We would appreciate it. Oh. Hello, my name is Ilana Auerbach, and I'd like to cede my time to Emily. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, um, Madam Clerk, and the City of uh, Berkeley staff. Um, happy Valentine's Day. This is my first uh, City Council meeting. Um, I am a um, senior citizen who's on disability, and I'm um, taking my time to please ask the city of Berkeley um, council members to please help me because I received parking citations. The first one I already paid, I had a doctor's appointment and I didn't see the, um, well, it was raining hard that morning and there was a street cleaning sign that was covered by trees. I paid the penalty and then um, I got another uh, letter saying that they're assessing additional charges um, because of the holiday mail, the payment got um, delayed. And then um, the next two tickets, they were um, four days apart, both for lack of residential parking permits. Um, both times I was um, in a uh, women's empowerment group meeting at the women's drop-in center 
And the other time was um, I was in class at City College. So I respectfully request the city council to please have this uh, penalties and citations waived. Um, I have um, mental health issues and I'm on disability and um, the parking citations are very extravagant. Um, I have a, a very old, it's a 2001 Toyota Camry and it's not, you know, um, extravagant by any means. It's just my mode of transportation. Um, other than that, I really respectfully thank you for your time and um, consideration. Please help me. Uh, when you mentioned that you love the city, um, the city is not just buildings and numbers. It's people and, and citizens like me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, we don't have the authority to waive citations, but that is within the authority of the city manager. So if I if I may suggest, if you could send my office an email, mayor at cityofberkeley.info, with a copy of the citations, if you have them, and any other relevant information, we can follow up with the city manager uh, to consider the request. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Um, mayor at city of Berkeley, city of Berkeley is all one word, dot info. I dot info info. Okay, thank you. Um, any of the other speakers whose names are called would like to come forward, please. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor and City Council. Thank you for being here. Happy Valentine's Day. I'd like to talk today about a little bit more about the confinement and death of horses in the Berkeley stables at Golden Gate Fields. Every California Penal Code 597T states that every person who keeps an animal confined in an enclosed area shall provide it with adequate exercise area. Golden Gate Fields racetrack is violating this California Penal Code as the racehorses in Berkeley are actually confined to a 12 by 12 solitary stall for 23 hours a day, except when the horse is being trained or raced for one hour a day and are forced to run in stressful, high impact, unnatural fits and starts with weight always on their backs. In contrast, in the wild, a free horse will roam and graze with their herd and their families for over 20 miles a day. And I have a quote. Oh, please continue. Uh, Dr. Gregory Ferraro, the current chairman of the CHRB, wrote an article in 2006, before he was the chairman, for the Center of Equine Health at UC Davis, of which he was the director at the time. In his article, he specifies very clearly, he says, do not confine the horse to a stall unless absolutely necessary for medical reasons. The more the older horse can move about freely, the less stiff it will be. Ideally, there should be free access to a turnout, preferably with another compatible horse or pony for company. So, oh, I'm sorry, one second. I seem to have misplaced the other portion of, oh, here we go. Okay, the three most common causes of stable deaths of horses are colic, laminitis, pleuronemonia, but today I'd like to just briefly touch on colic. According to the VCA Veterinary Hospital, severe colic pain can cause a horse to roll and throw itself about in an uncontrolled and dangerous manner. 
Colic in horses can be a gut spasm resulting from digestive upset or as a serious as serious as a twisting of a part of the intestines with consequent strangulation of its blood supply. According to Dr. Nathaniel White, professor of surgery at Marion DuPont Scott Equine Medical Center, there are only three situations that present a higher than normal risk factor for colic in horses. One is being fed grain before hay at meals because the horse's digestive system is meant to only digest hay in many stages. And number two, being trained for racing and events. And number three, being confined to a stall for more than 12 hours a day. And all of these three boxes are checked at Golden Gate Fields. According to the University of Minnesota, over 80% of colics respond well to treatment and can be easily spotted and treated before it comes fatal, becomes fatal. Um, however, most of the deaths, uh, excuse me, half of the deaths that occurred in 2022 were in the stalls. Um, surprisingly, you would think that they were on the track, but they were in the stables at Berkeley. And so far, the only two deaths that have occurred in 2023 we're in the stables from colic. So this is a tragedy that's regularly happening in our city. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, could you read the names, Madam Clerk, of the, the other speakers? Certainly, and I'm not quite sure um, this last speaker, your name. Thank you. The remaining speakers are Nilufar Shambayati, David Kamer, and Eid Abdullah. Okay. Uh, good evening, and thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, I would like to again continue our um, discussion of the fate of the horses in the horse um, racing industry. But I also like to start my comments with a quote from the editorial board of Washington Post on the horse racing industry. No other accepted sport exploits defenseless animals as gambling chips. No other accepted sport tolerates the cruelties that routinely result in the injury and death of these magnificent animals. The rot in horse racing goes deep. It is a sport that has outlived its time. Um, we all know that horse racing is a dying gambling industry kept alive only by the support of st state governments. We also know that... You can continue. Pardon me? You can continue. We also I, I, know I'm being flexible. If people need additional time to finish their comments, that's not a problem. So, okay. We also know that the industry that the industry cannot be reformed because its very existence is based on abuse of horses they breed and race. In California, the support started with a constitutional amendment and must end with another. But we can't wait for the, that moment and allow horses to keep being tortured, euthanized, sent abroad to be slaughtered or abandoned. The cities of Berkeley and Albany must take a strong stand against horse racing and Golden Gate Fields by any means at their disposal. The industry and its protector, California Horse Racing Board, surely will 
raised the specter of resorting to preemption laws to prevent our two cities from using any applicable penal code, their police powers, eminent domain, rezoning, and referendums to issue an ordinance against horse racing gambling. But our only way to clear the East Bay of this shameful present is to lead and start the process, which will educate the public about the harms of horse racing and will send our message to Sacramento. Other grievous cities will sure follow suit. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, good evening, City Council and Mayor. I would like to address the City Council um, regarding the safety and efficacy of three intersections. The first intersection I would like to address is College Avenue and Ashby Avenue, where there is a slight delay uh, regarding the green light and the uh, left turn signal, where the left turn signal comes on before the green light by a delay of about two seconds, and this slows down the intersection um, and traffic as a whole. The other two intersections I would like to address are the intersections of Parker and Telegraph and Parker and Shattuck, where anyone driving on Parker uh, on Parker Avenue or Street is required to cross four lanes of traffic and without any sort of stop signs or slow down signs on either side of oncoming traffic. And so I'd like to request there to be something considered or done regarding these uh, these three intersections. Okay, thank you very much. I'd like to refer this issue to the city manager. Thank you. Okay, um, is Eid Abdullah the last speaker here at the boardroom? Thank you very much, Mayor and uh, City Council, the people and the great people, the city of Berkeley. Just brief history of me and the store business. I came to Berkeley in 1964. Uh, that is two, 21 years after the mayor was born. And I've uh, been here from a long time. I enjoy the city. I love the city. It's a unique city. So while I was a graduate student at Cal, working my PhD in physics, I opened ease with $5,000 loan from the cooperative's uh, uh, credit union, which became co-op, which is no longer around. Uh, within five years, our business was doing $1 million a month. We have three stores in Berkeley and one in San Francisco, Marina Avenue. With a lot of setback, we had a million dollar theft in our San Francisco store by employees that they did over eight months. I still maintain very good business. Then what's the economical problem? Some years ago, the whole country went through. The business volume went down, but I maintain the business. The business today almost 50 years old because I opened in 1973. A lot of people in Berkeley depend on us. Nobody does what we do. We have extensive uh, discount on sale, all electronics, and also we're very technically able to do all of the needs for Berkeley. Nobody does what we have. So I applied for the to get license. The mayor was kind enough to uh, allow us to enter space in Telegraph Channing Avenue uh, Mall. And that was two and, two and a half years ago about, it was in uh, August of 2020. We need the support of the city council 
the mayor who's been very nice, as well as the city managers. We need to open our business. We're in business, we're doing business, but we need that location as soon as possible. I want. I don't have time to to say why I need that location more than I can rent in space else in, in Berkeley. Why I chose that location? Parking was a big part of it, exposure, and other things. So thank you very much, and we look forward to respond response from you. Thank you again. Thank you very much. I also would like to refer this matter to the city manager. I know that this individual had previously submitted an application of, to be considered for a lease. Um, and uh, I know that we've been you know, in touch with Public Works, so I wanna also refer this to the city manager, thank you. Okay, um, we'll go to the four remaining attendees on Zoom. We're not gonna be able to get to all five speakers, apologies. We'll go to the first four raised hands. Phyllis Oreck is our next speaker, and you should now be able to unmute yourself. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Wonderful. Um, it's great that the city has gotten as far as it has in developing the safety plan for Hopkins. And I just wanted to talk about who will benefit from this. Everyone who travels on Hopkins or across it will benefit. Everyone who walks, bikes, or drives in this corridor, as it will provide protected lanes for people who roll on their own or with assistance safer transit boardings and exits for riders. It will protect, protect pedestrians and motorists as it will slow traffic. As we all know, slower cars mean fewer and less serious crashes. Council member Taplin said it best in a recent Twitter thread posted prior to the anticipated and delayed February 2nd vote. Quote, I commend council member Kesarwani for tackling a major equity pitfall and problematic pattern where affluent neighborhoods demand and command the lion's share of the city's time and resources to the neglect of the West and the South. He also wrote that at the now postponed February 2nd vote, quote, council will be faced with two choices, honor our commitment to the bike plan and vision zero or signal to the region and the world that bold progressive change in service of equity and climate justice isn't as important as parking preservation, end quote. That is still the choice facing you on April 18th. Thanks for your time. Thank you. We'll go to our next speaker, Grace Morizawa, followed by Tony Mester. And Grace, you should now be able to speak. Please unmute yourself if you wish to speak. Okay, thank you. Um, hello, everybody. Um, it's my pleasure to speak to you. I'm the newly elected um, chair of the Peace and Justice Commission. Um, last uh, Monday, uh, February 6th, we uh, voted to send you a letter of appreciation for recognizing the Japanese Day of Remembrance, which is February 19th. And the reason I'm reading this to you is because this was so late, um, it is coming to you officially and I sent it to you in your email, but uh, by the time you get it officially, the 19th will be passed. So I just want you to, I just want to read the letter to you. Is that okay? I yes, please. Thank you. Yeah. The Peace and Justice Commission thanks you for declaring impact per 
Chetuity, February 19th, as the Japanese Day of Remembrance um, in February 2022. On February 19th, 1942, uh, President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066, which authorizes the forced relocation and internment of Japanese Americans. More than 120,000 were detained and forcibly removed from their homes without change or due process for years. Last, September, last February, the city council declared February 19th as the Japanese Day of Remembrance. <clears throat> In recognition of the mass incarceration of Japanese Americans and Japanese Latin Americans during War II, World War II. Um, the U.S., through extraordinary rendition, seized 2,200 people of Japanese ancestry from 13 Latin American countries, transported them to the U.S., and interned them in the Department of Justice camp. This imprisonment is now recognized as a grave injustice and violation of civil rights. Its basis was racism, failure of leadership, and war hysteria. Today, racism remains a significant obstacle to peace and justice in this country. In this, um, in Berkeley and nearby communities, the following commemorations are scheduled. And I'm not going to read, I'm just going to uh, read the names of them. And people can go to um, jacl.org slash day of remembrance to get the details. Uh, Berkeley Nikkei Student Union on Friday, Bay Area Day of Remembrance um, in San Francisco on Sunday, um, Interfaith Movement for Human Integrity, a rally um, on Thursday, February 23rd, during the day at 12 o'clock, and Rosie the Riveter on Sunday. Um, so what we'd like to welcome um, city council members and members of the community to please go to these sites. Many of them will be on online and others are in person. And finally, we recognize February 19th as the day of remembrance, knowing we must never forget. Please urge Berkeley residents to attend a commemoration. Thank you for your continued and necessary support for the Japanese Day of Remembrance. So thank you. Thank you so very much. Um, I, I know that you sent us recently a letter and um, I'm certainly happy to help promote information about these events. And I really appreciate um, you coming tonight to uh, raise awareness about the, the, import, the importance of this recognition. Could I say one more thing? Yes, please. Yeah, this Day of Remembrance um, originated as part of the um, part of redress and it was a really important tool for organizing the community to gather together um, in the struggle for uh, redress and reparations and we want to continue this for um, ourselves and other communities thank you very much okay um, as i had mentioned uh under our rules we take 10 speakers during this initial round of public comment on non-agenda matters we had six speakers in the boardroom refer from two on Zoom. So the last two speakers we'll call on for this round of public comment are Tony Mester and Igor Trega. So Tony, you should now be able to speak. 
Um, yes, I, I want to say that that letter about the Japanese Day of Remembrance really touched me profoundly. Thank you for that. Um, the subject I want to talk about is, you know, my favorite subject, which is aquatic park. Um, in light of the uh, recent die-off of marine animals in aquatic park, uh, there's renewed interest in the scientific and engineering uh, of aquatic park. And the city should restore the scientific and engineering studies that the taxpayers funded and therefore belong to us. And we should have access to them on the aquatic park page. Specifically, I speak of the natural resources management study, the aquatic park uh, improvement program known as APIP, the APIP technical report, among other documents. Nobody can truly understand the problems of aquatic park without these intellectual resources. I have asked staff at the last uh, stakeholders meeting to restore access, public access to these documents without success. Please tell the city manager uh, that this is a necessary um, matter. We, we need these documents on the aquatic park page. And um, Scott Ferris and Roger Miller know which ones, but I will send the city council a backup memo with uh, the names of the uh, documents that need to be accessed by the public and available to us on the Aquatic Park page. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, um, our last speaker for this round of non-agenda public comments, Igor Tregan. Please go ahead and unmute yourself. Thank you so much, Mayor and Council. I am here today as a Berkeley resident, but also a Ukraine native. And about a year ago to the day, I stood before you to, in support of a resolution, which in solidarity with Ukraine, which you unanimously passed. And I'm very grateful for that. I would like to thank the mayor for a proclamation to reaffirm your solidarity with the democratic nation and the peace-loving people of Ukraine, which will be read next week. And I would like to invite you all to attend two events. One, a flag raising of the Ukrainian flag next Thursday, the 23rd at 4 p.m. And a performance art at the San Francisco Civic Center Plaza, starting at noon. Thank you so much. I will send you information about both of these events. And we are also fundraising for relief efforts at bit.ly slash rebuilding Ukraine. Uh, the R in rebuilding and the U in Ukraine are capitalized. In the words of my native people, my native tongue, uh, which means thank you. Okay, thank you very much. So that completes this round of public comment on non-agenda matters. We'll have a another public comment period on non-agenda matters at the conclusion of our meeting tonight. So we'll now proceed to the consent calendar. And first, we received two items from members of the council that are being submitted uh, pursuant to government code section 54954.2B2. And let me pull 
up the um, the items to share screen. Members of the council should have received them from the city clerk this afternoon. And they've also posted on the agenda webpage for tonight's meeting. The first item is from uh, Councilman Robinson. Um, and this item is being submitted pursuant to government code section 54954.2B2, um, which under the Brown Act allows a legislative body to take immediate action if the need to take action came to the attention of the local agency subsequent to the agenda for the meeting being posted. The item is a letter in support of Senator Nancy Skinner, Assemblymember Ting's um, support for public tra uh, public transit funding in the fiscal 23-24 state budget. And the facts supporting the addition of the item are um, the need for action came to the attention of the council subsequent to the agenda for this meeting being posted. There is a need to take immediate action as budget negotiations for the fiscal 23-24 California state budget are in process and transit agencies across California would need to implement extreme catastrophic service cuts that they do not receive extended COVID-19 recovery funding. Um, and so um, I will make a motion that we add this item to the agenda pursuant to government code section 54954.2B2 and that there's a need to take immediate action and the need came to the attention of the local agency subsequent to the agenda being posted. Is there a second? Second. Seconded by Councilman Robinson. This is a procedural motion to add the item to the agenda. Um, and so I'll now ask the clerk to call the roll. Councilmember Hezerwani? Pass. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Arguin? Yes. Councilmember Kesarwani? Yes. Okay, the motion carries unanimously. This item was submitted as a consent item, so it will be added to our consent calendar. Thank you. Let's now move to the other item. Um, this was is also being submitted uh, pursuant to government code section 54954.2B2. Um, and the item is entitled Black History Month Awards by the Berkeley Public Schools Fund, the Relinquishment of Council Office budget funds, the general fund and grant of such awards. And um, uh, one second, let me pull this up. And Councilor Bartlett, I believe the event is happening um, soon. And so in order to ensure that um, these, that a contribution can be made to the Berkeley Public Schools Fund to help support um, these, um, scholarships to young students, that is why you're asking that this item be added, correct? Because if we don't take action tonight, then we will be unable to make the donation. Correct. Okay. So I will move that we add this item to the agenda also. Is there a second? Second. Okay. This once again is a procedural motion. The question before the council is whether to add the item to the agenda pursuant to government code section 54954.2B2. Um, and uh, as stated, the the time sensitivity to this, I think this came to the attention of Vice Mayor Bartlett um, subsequent to the uh, agenda being posted, and we must approve um, this item tonight in order for a contribution to be made on behalf of the City Council to support these scholarships. So I'll ask the clerk to please call the roll on the motion. Councilmember Kesarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. 
Hahn? Yes. Wengroff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Arguin? Yes. Okay, the motion does carry unanimously, and this also is being submitted as an item to be placed on our consent calendar. Thank you very much. Um, if I may, um, um, I want to call attention to item 11. This was an item that my office had submitted. If you may recall, um, Unfortunately, we missed the deadline to submit an item for contributions to be made to support the MLK breakfast um, and to support the um, scholarships to um, uh, to young people uh, who were uh, received awards at the MLK breakfast. Um, however, we were informed that we can subsequent to the event submit an item to allow donations to the Berkeley Rotary Endowment who will be funding those scholarship awards. So um, this is a way for us to help support those scholarships. And I encourage my colleagues, if you are able to, to make a donation from your uh, D13 account, I'd like to note that I'll be contributing $250 to item 11. Um, those are my comments, thank you. Okay, we'll go to first to Councilmember Hunt. Well, thank you very much and happy Valentine's Day to my colleagues and everyone who's here with us. This evening, um, I wanted to uh, thank Council Members Robinson and Bartlett for their um, uh, urgency items. And uh, Council Member Robinson has very kindly agreed to add me as a co-sponsor um, to his item, uh, seeking uh, support for funding for our public transit that is on the brink of collapse um, in the next few years. I also would like to donate $200 to uh, Council Member Bartlett's cause um, and also give 200 to item, what was it, 11, the Rotary, Berkeley Rotary Endowment, Mayor Adegin's item. And um, just uh, wanted to appreciate, as always, uh, items. Five, six, and seven, just calling out the great work that our city is doing around homelessness, mental health, um, and supporting community organizations that help people in need in our community. And that, I believe, is it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Councilmember Wengraff. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I would like to be recorded as donating $250 to the uh, Black History Month Awards. And also, and I don't believe that has a council number yet, does it? Um, uh, I turned on the wrong mic. Um, no, it doesn't, but that's the item we added to the agenda. Yeah. So it's a consent. Okay. 250 from my uh, discretionary fund. And in addition, $250 to the Berkeley Rotary Endowment. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll go next to Vice Mayor Bartlett. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. I'd like to um, add $200 to, $250 to item 11, the uh, Rotary Endowment. Uh, and thank you all for accepting uh, our late edition of the MLK Awards, the uh, sorry, Black History Month Awards. It should be a great event. 
uh, kids are going to be showing up at this really fun party, uh, presenting their their creative machinations regarding to different Black inventions through history. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, please come out. Um, <laughs> and I'd like to also thank Councilmember Robinson for his excellent uh, calling out of the transportation deficit, and we need this really sorely here. Uh, thanks very much. Okay, thank you. Uh, we'll go next to Councilmember Robinson. Good evening, loved ones. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, first, I'd like to express my gratitude to our staff for bringing item 10 to us. Uh, you all may have seen this appear on an earlier agenda uh, and then fall off and then come back on with a supplemental, uh, the significant change being the removal of the proposal for angled parking on the, uh, the northern side of Durant running along the project. I think we're all gaining a greater appreciation uh, for the importance of checking our fire codes uh, before these multimodal project plans come into place. Really appreciate the work on staff side to make sure we were locked in uh, and ready to go. And all things considered, this project is happening incredibly quickly and I'm feeling really good about the timeline. Thank you to Liam and Chief Sprague and the whole team uh, and to Councilmember Harrison. You played a very important role in helping close the funding gap for this uh, through the budget process last year. And I'm very glad to see this moving forward today. I'd like to offer $200 from my discretionary account to the Rotary Endowment uh, and a separate 200 to the Black History Month event. And I uh, thank council members Bartlett, Harrison, and Humbert, the three council members in addition to myself whose districts pick off little corners of the Southside plan area uh, for your co-sponsorship of the Southside impact fee nexus study. Uh, the downtown SOSA plan has been highly successful in generating funding for transformative projects downtown. And I'm very excited about us moving this budget referral forward to look at a similar program on the south side. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Councilmember Taplin. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. I want to thank Councilmember Robinson and Vice Mayor Birdlet for their time critical items. Uh, Vice Mayor Birdlet, may I co-sponsor the, the Black History Awards item? Uh, yes, I think you already are co-sponsor, but yes, of course. Awesome. Well, uh, just want you to know how much I uh, support and, and grateful for your leadership on this item. Um, and I would also like to donate 250 to the Rotary Endowment. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Councilmember Harrison. Yes, I would like to donate $250 to the Rotary Endowment. Thank you very much. All right, we'll go next to Councilmember Kesarwani, followed by Councilmember Humbert. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. I wanted to be recorded as donating $100 to the Black History Month Awards and $100 to the uh, Rotary Endowment, item number 11. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Humbert. Yes, thank you, Mr. Mayor, and um, happy Valentine's Day to everybody um, uh, on Zoom and in the chambers and all my fellow council members and your honor. Um, I'd like to be recorded as donating $200 to um, uh, the mayor's item number 11, the Rotary Club Endowment, and $200 to um, Council Member Bartlett and um, Taplin's um, Black History Month uh, Fund. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I fail to um, acknowledge the contribution I'd like to make to the Urgent item Councilor Bartlett had introduced for the um, uh, Black History Month 
uh, event, uh, like to donate $250 to my office budget for that event. Thank you. Okay, um, are there any other councilors that would like to speak on the consent calendar? If not, we'll now proceed to public comment on the consent calendar. Is there anyone here at the boardroom at 1231 Addison Street that would like to speak on an item on the consent calendar? If so, please come forward to the podium. Hello, I'm Audrey Lees. Uh, I just would like to speak about uh, consent uh, number six about the shelter. Yes. And uh, I would like to uh, to tell you a story. It happened on January 1st, 20, uh, 2023. It was dark, freezing and pouring rain. I was driving with, driving with Paul on 2nd Street, asking if people would like to ride to, uh, to have a ride to the emergency shelter in downtown Berkeley. Many people were already locked in their tents, hoping to stay dry and warm during the night. One man was standing, looking at all his belongings completely wet since his tarp collapsed. He jumped into our van. He was shaking a lot. On our way to the shelter, we found another man under drugs, just laying on the street. We also convinced him to come with us. When we arrived at the shelter, we were happy to see that about 40 people were benefiting from a warm place but we were shocked to realize that they would be put again on the street at 6.30 in the morning. And food was only provided on weekends. This is how I began to inquire more about the shelter and how we could help to make it more caring. Based on my, on my four years experience with Consider the Homeless, driving around Berkeley and serving soup to people on the streets. Since that night, we have been serving hot, healthy soup at the shelter with homemade croutons and teas every evening of the week. It has been one month and a half already. Every day, we, were, we are looking at the weather forecast, waiting for the email that will officially declare the shelter open. I wish it would be open every day, at least during winter, without question. For me, this is an efficient use of a public space, and it brings a minimum level of human treatment. Voting in favor of this extra budget for having more nights with a heated roof is very important. Again, I wish it would be open all, uh, at least all winter, all winter long and ideally all year long. Anyone who goes camping during the summer knows that it is still cold at night, even if you are well equipped, unlike people experiencing homelessness. We need a village to take care of each other. I strongly believe, believe in care, dignity, and community. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for all that you're doing for our community. Thank you. Um, are there any other speakers who want like to speak on an item on the consent calendar? Yes, ma'am. Hi. Thank you. All right, this is my first time doing this. So do I just press something? Uh, I, you, I, you just uh, speak and should be able to pick up your comments. Okay, thank you, sir. Um, I would like to also speak um, on behalf of uh, item six on the inclement weather shelter program and why it should be continued. Um, I'm pleased to know that the mayor is also a fellow Rotarian like I am. So um, yours in Rotary. So um, the reason 
I, I am a street life uh, advocate, and I believe that uh, the inclement weather shelter program is important to the community, and it should be extended, you know, even beyond, I mean, it should be considered to be extended even beyond um, the, 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 the date that you have here because of the importance it holds in the community to keep people um, off the street um, who need a place to sleep, a place to get something warm to eat. Um, sleep deprivation is a, is a huge problem. It contributes to mental health problems. And I think if the city manager would consider um, keeping this going, um, I'm sure that uh, Audrey could continue to serve her soup and we can, uh, we could keep track of all the people that need homes and need uh, resources better by, by just uh, giving them a plate of food. And um, I, I've had, okay, for three years, I've experienced homelessness in the Bay Area, okay? And I recently moved to Berkeley in December, 2022. And I have been um, at the, at the uh, inclement uh, weather shelter. And it is, it, it's helped me uh, get back together again and, and, you know, get back, get my life back together again. So I, I think it should be something that you should consider and, you know, it's it's something that we do as Rotarians, right? <laughs> okay, sorry. Thank you so much. Thank you. You sir. did great. Thank you. Um, are there any other speakers here in the boardroom at twelve thirty one Addison who would like to speak on a consent item? Yes. Yes, uh, Tom Yamaguchi. I uh, just came down from my house a few blocks away. Far as I felt sorry for them now, you look so lonely up there. <laughs> you needed company. Thank you. But I was uh, happy that the uh, an emergency uh, addition to the uh, consent calendar regarding funding for uh, uh, public transit. I just felt I need to come right down and uh, express my support for that that bill as well. Uh, I've been all the forty years I've been living in Berkeley. Most of it's been without only a car and. Uh, that's one of the reasons I moved to the Bay Area was because this is one of the probably the few parts of of, uh, of the state that had an adequate public transit system, and we're reading constantly in our um, the news regarding uh, drastic cuts to transit, loss of weekend service. We just we just can't afford that, and our climate cannot afford that. So please uh, support uh, the legislation from Skinner. Thanks. Thank you so much. Um, is there anyone else here at the boardroom who would like to speak on a, a consent item? Yes, sir. Good evening. Thank you to the mayor and to the city council. Can be heard. Uh, in regards to the importance that was my wife, uh, Gina. Uh, my name is Jeffrey. It happens to be her birthday, too. Happy birthday. Um, to an addendum to our three-year experience and the importance of people coming back and being able to participate in those new worlds. Some jobs are not going to be needed. 
and to those who have lost their homes due to different things that occurred within the two years, the, the importance of that shelter. When we started, Audrey hadn't started serving her wonderful soup. And we were getting um, cold food. It was doable. We needed the shelter. We were considering the shelter more than anything. When Audrey introduced the soup, uh, all that, the angst that street people, street life can take on a person, when they gathered in there, they calmed down. There was no uh, contention or less than. Since everyone had to leave 6.30 a.m. in the morning, this was extremely important because they have to get back onto rebuilding however they're doing it. Um, they don't have cars. Uh, so travel is, everyone's constantly moving. Um, so that, that shelter, that rest and a hot meal is so important. Um, how they were, how I've seen my wife and I and others from that just, uh, I'll say a, a three weeks time uh, change and um, appreciate different things uh, in new ways that's gonna make our lives when we get back even better. So just asking that Berkeley, City Council of Berkeley really truly consider and see the value in adding these people to their community and getting to know them and see what they could make and bring something positive. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other speakers here at the boardroom at 1231 Addison Street that would like to speak to an item on the consent calendar? Um, okay. Um, I would like to thank not just the volunteers, but the clients, residents who join us today from the, um, the Dorothy Day Shelter and just so grateful um, to everyone who volunteers their time to serve um, our unhoused neighbors and to make sure they have a warm place to stay, have access to food. Um, I just want to uh, call attention to the fact that um, it's my understanding that the um, inclement weather shelter hours have been extended to 8 a.m. Uh, from um, 6 a.m. So I just wanted to just call attention to that. And uh, this funding will ensure that we can keep it going until April um, on an as-needed basis, especially given the, I mean, tonight is a prime example of why we need this shelter. And we definitely want to make sure we can continue it. And then next year, do even better and make sure that we can keep it in continuous operation. So I just want to acknowledge the volunteers and the staff at Dorothy Day are really the, the heroes. They're the ones who do the work to keep the shelter in operation. And just thank you for coming tonight. Okay. Um, if there are no other speakers here in the boardroom, we'll go to the speakers on Zoom. So our first raised hand is Colin User 1. Colin User 1, you should now be able to speak. Please press star 6 to unmute. Colin User 1, if you wish to speak, please unmute yourself. Good evening. My name is Patrick Kehoe, and I am speaking in regard to... <clears throat> pardon me. <coughs> Item 13B on the agenda. Um, I urge you to vote for item 13B. Oh, Patrick, you're not quite, I don't think we're at that item yet. We're on the consent calendar. We'll be getting to item 13 very shortly. Okay, and will there, will there be public comment Absolutely. at that time? Absolutely. Okay, 
on the hold then. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, once again, this is public comment on the consent calendar. So that's items one through 12. Um, if there's any speaker that wishes to address those items, please raise your hand at this time. Okay. Moni Law is our next speaker. Please unmute yourself. Happy Valentine's Day, Council and Mayor. Um, three quick things on the Rotary Club uh, donations to Black History. Donating to young people is donating to the future. And sadly, we have a declining number of Black community members in Berkeley. So thank you for accentuating the need to um, honor uh, Black history as well as our present and our future. On the issue of public transit, we are one of the largest communities in the country for aging populations. I'm one of those aging in place who by choice for the environment does not have a car. And I need public transit. And I thank council member um, Robinson for bringing that forward. Also, I meant to say also vice mayor uh, Bartlett for bringing the black history item forward. Finally on measure P, I was at the warming center. It's called the warming center at the North Berkeley Senior Center last night. And something super important, and I'd hope you can find funding to add this as one of the prior speakers addressed the issue of transportation. His nickname is Blind Tony, but his full name is Anthony McNair. He doesn't mind um, his name being used in that. He is trying desperately to find housing. Um, he's blind, uh, late onset blindness. Um, he's been run over before in the past and he's desperately seeking permanent housing at this time. However, he was in the uh, Pete's Coffee on Shattuck for hours and I wanna thank the staff at um, Pete's for being so compassionate. It's a sea of humanity when you go inside the senior center at night. I really encourage people to go there. As Barbara Brust said, the founder of Consider the Homeless, they serve more than soup. They serve compassion. They serve uh, just seeing the people eye to eye. And there are women that are on the stage area and then men who are sleeping on the floor on cots. Um, and there is warm soup now. And I'd say kudos out to Blake, Paul Blake and others that are part of that um, participation of contributing to our community. And so do add some contribution toward transportation with Easy Does It because I ordered the van to get him there. Otherwise, I don't know how he gets around other than um, he doesn't. And it's very dangerous for someone with a disability that needs assistance. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go to our next speaker on Zoom, Ryan Lau from AC Transit. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Uh, Ryan Lau, External Affairs Representative at AC Transit. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, I like you all so much that I'm uh, spending the evening with you instead of my wife at the moment. <laughs> um, uh, really appreciate um uh, for item 10, sorry, uh, the funding agreement for the uh, Durant Quick Build project. I uh, really appreciate the City of Berkeley's partnership um, on that project and the willingness to contribute to a real benefit to their transit riding uh, um, constituents. Um, in particular, I really want to uh, 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 shout out um, Councilmember Harrison, Mayor Aragine, uh, Council Members uh, Robinson and Taplin for making that initial um, budget referral to um, allow TNC uh, tax money to be used for public transit infrastructure. Um, and then another happy surprise, um, thank you for Council Member Robinson and uh, Council Member Hahn to um, co-sponsor uh, the emergency item for um, 
funding for public transit. The, the uh, fiscal cliff is real. Um, it's really, uh, we're sort of in a dire uh, way. Uh, we've been subsisting off of federal relief funds um, for quite some time now, um, and it's going to take a, a while for public transit to get back on its feet with um, the sort of evolution of transit uh, or tr uh, transportation patterns um, in the wake of uh, the pandemic. So um, did very much appreciate that um, and to the entire council for uh, support of um, this funding toward the Durant Quick Build project. So thank you so much and have a great evening. Thank you. Okay, we'll go to our next uh, speaker on Zoom, uh, Jonah Gottlieb. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I just wanted to uh, recognize the work of uh, Councilmember Robinson and his dedicated staff um, for bringing the emergency item related to transit funding uh, to the council. Um, we are now 10 days past uh, 2023's Transit Equity Day. Um, and I think that the timing of this could not be more relevant um, given that. Um, so I just appreciate the council member um, and for his leadership and the whole council for moving this item forward. And just in my personal uh, dealings in Sacramento that I've had recently, I can definitely say that movement by local uh, local governing bodies uh, and you know resolutions such as the one that hopefully will be passed on the assent the consent calendar in just a few minutes um, definitely do make a difference in terms of realigning our legislators priorities um, when thinking about funding things such as public transit so thank you um, and I'm heartened to see the community response as well um, to fully funding transit here in Berkeley and throughout Alameda County thank you thank you are there any other attendees that would like to speak to an item on the consent calendar? If so, please raise your hand at this time. Seeing no additional raise hands, assuming there are no other speakers here in the boardroom on consent, we'll close public comment on the consent. Oh, Derivia Duval. If there's anyone who wishes to speak after Ms. Duval, please raise your hand. Uh, Derivia, you should now be able to speak. Please unmute yourself. Yes. Hi, I'm calling to uh, agree with the consent calendar for the transit, but I'm really calling about item number seven, resources for the community development for the Martin Luther King House and the through the Mental Health Services Act. As we know, people who are in transit have become very stressed as due to the pandemic and the results of what's happening after the pandemic and an extra staff to help people in this single house is much needed because um, when you're making these transitions, you're not always in control of your emotions and you do need mental health services. You need support and the extra support that you get making that transition from unhoused to housed to temporary housed and can be really upsetting. So I support this $107,000 to add an extra for uh, the mental health of our community, as well as we need transit desperately. People cannot, Berkeley is not easy to get around if you don't have a car. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other attendees that wish to speak to an item on the consent calendar? Seeing no additional raised hands, uh, I'll bring it back to council for their 
Uh, one more, um, Stuval, I believe you already spoke. Do you wish to speak on item 13? Um, so we'll go to public comment on that very shortly. Bring it back to the council for further discussion. Councilor Taplin. Thank you. Uh, I wish we were recorded as donating 1,000 to the Black History Month Awards. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, Council Member Harrison. Yes, I, I got I got confused and only donated to the Rotary and I'd like to donate $200 to Black History Month as well. I'm trying to donate to both of them. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Are there any other council members that would like to speak to the consent calendar? If not, I'll make a motion to approve the consent calendar as amended. Second. Seconded by Councilor Hahn. Thank you. Seeing no further discussion, I'll ask the clerk to call the roll on the consent calendar. Councilmember Kesterwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Arguin? Yes. Okay, thank you. The consent calendar is approved. So we'll now proceed to the action calendar, and we have one item on the action calendar tonight, which is item 13, item 13A, citywide affordable housing requirements. This is a recommendation from the city manager. And item 13B is a companion recommendation from Councilmember Harrison. I want to call attention to supplemental item that was also submitted by Councilmember Taplin related to item 13. Um, this is a public hearing. So at the conclusion of the staff presentation, we will open the public hearing and take testimony. So now I'd like to recognize um, Jordan Klein, Director of Planning Development, and Dr. Lisa Varhus, the Director of Health, Housing, Community Services, to open on the item. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Good evening, council members. Uh, we're back before you this evening with a revised item to reflect the action that city council took on January 17th. Uh, presenting for the Planning Development Department will be Elisa Shen. We're also joined by Steve Buckley, uh, Lisa Varhus, and Margot Ernst from the Department of Health, Housing, and Community Service Services, and Rick Jacobus from Street Level Advisors. We have a brief presentation, and then we'll be available for questions. And I'll turn it over to Elisa. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor Arakeen and members of the City Council. The presentation I have for you tonight is indeed brief. Um, let me just share screen. All right. Is everyone able to see? Uh, whoops. See my screen? Yes. Okay, great. So, um, oh, and let me minimize this. Um, at your January 17th meeting, you adopted first reading of a proposed ordinance and resolution regarding the city's affordable housing requirements with uh, three specific amendments. And based on your action, staff is bringing forward uh, uh, the revised uh, an ordinance and draft resolution with the items that you specifically directed in staff's uh, supplemental report two and that you discussed on January 17th. The three amendments are explained in your packet and it consisted, they consisted of including an exemption, basically keeping the existing exemption for housing development projects of fewer than five units, which appears in section 23328.050F exemptions, also revising the definition of housing development project to strengthen anti-piecemealing provisions, and that's in the definition section, which is 
0.020E. And finally, um, you directed us to change the basis of the calculation of the in lieu fee uh, to be based on net residential floor area using the 2020 affordable housing mitigation fee level. So we implemented this change by creating a new definition for the term residential unit floor area, and this is in the definition section of the ordinance. And we also uh, revised the resolution that includes updated references to this definition and uh, adjusted the amounts of the tiered in lieu fee uh, table. So this new resolution would supersede resolution, the resolution that um, was adopted on January 17th. And so our staff recommendation um, that is detailed in your uh, detailed in your packet um, and reproduced on this slide is to adopt first reading of the draft ordinance draft resolution. And right now we are um, opening it up to entertain your questions and um, your discussion. Thank you, Ms. Shen. Um, as is our tradition, I'd like to give the council members who have introduced supplementals an opportunity to briefly present their proposals. So I'll go first to Councilmember Harrison. Uh, yes, to, thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. I'm, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Um, uh, first of all, I want to thank the staff for making the, um, some of these changes. I think it's really important that we look at residential square feet. And thank you to Councilmembers Hahn and Wengraff for introducing that concept at our last hearing. And I appreciate the attempt to not allow piecemealing of projects. Um, most of my comments are based on the uh, four fewer units. I'm very concerned about using units as opposed to square footage for a number of reasons. One, when this was introduced, back in 2019 as a referral from Councilmember Robinson, it was specifically directed at looking at square footage rather than unit numbers because we had seen a lot of gaming in the housing industry where people were building very big 10-bedroom units, for example, with one kitchen and saying, well, that's one unit and doing that four times over and saying, well, that's only four units, so we don't have to pay fees. And we had 40 bedrooms and 80 people at quite a profit for the developers without any um, affordable housing fees. And I think the purpose of Councilor Robinson's referral was to get away from this way of calculating fees to avoid this impact. That was sort of the whole undergirding uh, of it. Um, also, I think the state has recognized the wisdom of that because this year they passed an effective January 1st, AB 602, which is supported by many, many pro-housing groups, which requires that affordable housing fees be based on square footage and not a per unit basis, unless a specific finding is made about why it should be done otherwise. So these groups saw what Mr. Robinson saw, Councilman Robinson, when he proposed eliminating fees based on number of units. Um, and I think that given that, I think, first of all, it's important that we use Square footage and not units. That's a, the very most important thing in my in my item. Number two, I note that in the staff recommendations from last time, that the exemption for the smallest projects would last until April of 2025. And I'm not certain why we're doing that. We're about to do another feasibility study. Um, I don't see a reason to extend those for that length of time. I think that the feasibility study should be looking at what is a reasonable amount for um, smaller projects to pay? Um, while the 
alternative that we received from, from two of my colleagues claims that missing middle housing is inherently less costly. I think they're confusing size with income level. Um, it's not necessarily true that we get less expensive housing just because we have um, fewer units. For example, I took a look today at rents in rent-controlled units, which are what we typically refer to as naturally occurring affordable housing. We use that term for older housing, not just the size of housing. And when I did that, I found uh, buildings that have been built in the last five years, new housing, with rents for studios as much as $6,500 for a 450-square-foot unit, whereas, in fact, the median cost of a um, rent-controlled unit of that same size is significantly less, some 224% less. Similarly, one bedrooms for rent controlled or older units cost between 81% and 211% less than newly built um, uh, housing. So I don't believe that just building smaller gets us more affordable housing. I think in a student market, we have a very unusual situation here. We're not like a typical housing market because students need to live near campus and are willing to crowd in, et cetera. So I really feel like we need to do two things. We need to go back to unit uh, square footage, as I said, and we need to eliminate this exemption that lasts for such a long time and see what the results of the study are that are coming forth. Just last meeting, we voted on the affordable housing feasibility study. We've ordered to put that money forward. Um, I think a lot of this for me is based on an idea about um, how market rate housing works that inevitably by building more costs are reduced. And I just simply don't believe in trickle down in the housing market. I don't think it works. Um, you know, as I've said before, when the price of an orange goes up, I can eat an apple. But when the price of my apartment goes up and my mother lives here and is elderly, my church is here, my job is here, my kids are in school here, I'm just going to pay more. It's Housing is not like other, other markets. So, um, and even um, Karen Chappelle, who we all admire so much, um, concluded that it can take up to 30 years for costs to filter down, cost reductions to filter down. Um, so I, I mean, in response to the staff um, item, again, I'd like to see us go to square feet, as I think that's more consistent in this exemption. I'd like to see us eliminate the um, discounting starting at 12,000 square feet at an average size of about 750 square feet units. That's about 18 units. Right now, you, projects that have more than four units have been paying. And I'm not sure why we're discounting that. The original logic of discounting was we're going to have this lower fee, as presented by Mr. Jacobus, at the very smallest units. And we don't want a cliff where suddenly we have a fee that's much lower and then a higher fee right above that at, say, 5,000 square feet. Um, but we got rid of the fee for the very lowest number, the uh, smallest units or buildings, rather. So we have a cliff inherently because right now the answer is zero. So the entire rationale for having this discounting down, starting at 12,000 square feet, for me fails. And it's giving a gift, frankly, to people that in the past have paid these fees. Also, the last thing I wanna say is let's not forget that this, um, the fee schedule that we already have, which I'm okay with, is based on numbers from 2000, uh, because that's when Mr. Jacobus began his work. Um, the, Rationale for that was that because there's been inflation, et cetera, and he had begun his work, then we should use that number. That's true. 
but rents have also gone up in that time. And moreover, we've done three super important things on this council that have reduced development costs significantly since 2020. We eliminated minimum parking requirements. That has saved developers a great deal of money. We've adopted the buy-right development of many types of housing, and we've also supported SB9. All of these things have reduced costs. So I'm going to live with starting with this 2020 number because that's what Mr. Jacobus studied. But Mr. Jacobus also studied fees based on square footage and not units for the smallest projects. That was his original recommendation. And he also um, you know, looked at this, this in a more holistic way. So I would like us to do that. I'd like us to be consistent with what he did. I think the proposal from my colleagues, I understand your desire to create an incentive for projects that have smaller units. Um, I don't think it'll necessarily result in that. And I think it's much better to go with the square foot basis as required under state law. So um, those are my initial comments. I'm happy to take questions. Um, I just, I guess the very last thing I'd like to say is, you know, the housing element talks about making sure that we further fair housing. And it goes on to say further fair housing at all income levels. It doesn't say build a lot of extra housing in high resource neighborhoods so other rich people can move to high resource neighborhoods. The concept behind it is that people at all income levels can live in richer neighborhoods. And we're only going to get that if we have affordable housing. Because again, I don't really believe in trickle down. So thank you for your patience with me. And I look forward to hearing your questions and comments. Okay, thank you very much. Now I'd like to give uh, Councilor Taplin an opportunity if you'd like to present uh, the, the supplemental that you submitted. Thank you very much. Uh, I think we all agree about um, the transition to square footage instead of number of units. Um, but following our last discussion in the affordable housing mitigation fee update, I recall the story of Anita Adams, an African-American woman in Central District Seattle, who together with her husband will be required to pay more than $75,000 in fees for a four-bedroom addition on their property to house their adult children. Having lived in their, in their neighborhood for generations, the Adamses are, are among the last Black families on their block. Although the intended target of this fee is large developers, it is builders like the Adamses, everyday homeowners seeking to modify their homes who will be prevented from building on their properties, rather than deep-pocketed professional developers who favor the large projects that make the mitigation fees more viable. We know that we have failed to meet our even a fraction of our obligation for moderate income households, that more and more families rely on intergenerational living to meet their health care and financial needs, and that missing middle housing typologies are conducive to this kind of living and are less disruptive to residential communities being of a scale more continuous with existing neighborhood fabrics. Certainly, it is not the Council's goal to undermine our commitment to HCD expressed in the housing element with respect to the tiered sliding scale for missing middle projects. So, Perhaps we were correct in voting to adopt SAS recommendation at the last meeting. However, if this is no longer the will of council, then Councilmember Humber and I are proposing that we A, allow the updated feasibility study to move forward before considering the elimination of current exemptions, B, that the feasibility analysis consider discounts and other incentives to produce middle housing and encourage the inclusion of on-site subsidized units, and C, add additional waivers for a narrow category of, where, of rare occurring projects built to minimize housing costs and maximize efficiency for small one to two adult households who might otherwise outcompete larger households for existing space in single family homes. Thank you. Uh, I'll yield the rest of my time to Councilman Humbert. 
Uh, Councilmember Humbert, anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, um, thank you very much. And I join in Councilmember Taplin's comments. And I do agree that, you know, it probably does make sense uh, instead of um, the schema that, that um, Councilmember Taplin and I included in our uh, supplemental to substitute a reasonable uh, square footage um, uh, limitation uh, for the, the exempt category. I don't think we're talking about trickle down here. I think we're talking about uh, supply and demand. We're way behind the curve on producing housing. We're way behind the curve on producing the small, gentle, missing middle housing that's been barred, for example, in my neighborhood since uh, 1916 when racist exclusionary uh, R1 zoning was, was first instituted uh, here in my neighborhood for the first time in, in, in the country. Um, so, you know, so I think a reasonable um, uh, 3,000 square feet is probably too low. Um, I would suggest something like 5,000 square feet um, for the exempt categories, uh, below 5,000 square feet for, for exemption from the affordable housing mitigation fee. Really want to encourage that kind of um, uh, gentle, um, uh, missing middle, it does, it's, there's no magic in a fourplex. Um, there are many sixplexes and eightplexes in um, the Elmwood and Willard and Halcyon that fit in really, really well in terms of massing. I'd like to encourage more of that where there are appropriate opportunities. And so, you know, I, I think that that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, we should, of course, study feasibility at, at all levels. I'm certainly in favor of that. I'm, um, you know, I think that 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 makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and I'd also point out to echo um, Councilmember Taplin's comment that we've already included in our housing element um, the graduated um, uh, uh, affordable housing mitigation fee. Um, ramping it up as as the size of development gets larger. Um, we've said we're doing that um, to HCD to um, support the creation of additional housing in Berkeley. And I think it would be a real risk if we pulled that out. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Um, we'll go to council members for initial questions. Let's hold our more extensive comments until after the public hearing. Uh, we'll go first to Councilmember Wengraff. Thank you very much. Um, so I have a couple of questions. Um, Councilmember Harrison referenced a state law that uh, says that there's a requirement now to calculate affordable housing fees based on square footage. I wonder if um, Elisa, you could um, you could speak to that and explain why staff came back with um, a unit. Uh, a unit metric rather than square footage, if that if that's the case. Um, I'm actually going to invite my uh, land, the land use planning manager, um, see if they he's familiar with that specific law in this instance. Because um, I have to admit, I am not uh, familiar with the requirement. Um, so that's why we came back with uh, the direction to keep the existing um the existing exemption the way it was written but also understand 
um, in terms of this proposal, you know, why it's been translated into um, to align with our the rest of our recommendation. There's um, Steve is there. Thank you. Hello. Uh, yeah, Steve Buckley, land use planning manager. Uh, yeah, I can I can speak to um, I believe it's AB fifteen oh five that um, set up the Palmer fix, uh, which. Uh, reestablish the way that uh, local governments can have affordable housing um, requirements that uh, require um, below market rate rental units. And as part of that, there's also a feasibility study required. And there's a presumption in the law that a an, an analysis that uses square footage um, is a valid uh, analysis. I mean, there's more to it than that, but that's kind of where that comes from. Okay, I think Councilmember Harrison referenced a different state bill. It wasn't that same number. Um, I wonder if we could get some clarity on that. Councilmember Harrison, what was the number of the bill that you referenced? Mayor, may I? Yes. Yes, it's AB 602, and it was only in effect as of this January. It says the bill would require requires a local agency that calculates fees um, must do so on the basis of square footage. Right. So, AB 602. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that was re specifically related to impact fees. And there are in list to housing and impact fee. Okay. But the logic of this is that we should be looking at the square footage because if we go back, if I might, Mr. Mayor, or I can say this later, um, I just want to say that um, if we go back to somebody who builds a giant 5,000 square foot house, on a property that could accommodate four units, shouldn't they pay a fee? I mean, I really don't see the point. Somebody builds an, an enormous, we're trying to get away from these giant houses that created the racist land use patterns we have. It doesn't make sense to use units. That's my own personal hey, opinion. Hey, excuse me, um, I have the floor. I understand you wanna make your argument and I, I support the concept, but... Um, I don't think this is the time right now to um, to argue that that point. I was specifically asking about the relevancy of the law, and so now I found out that that law applies to impact fees, and that the affordable housing fee is not considered an impact fee. Is that correct? Yes, that's what um, Mr. Buckley was referring to. Just in terms of it's an in lieu fee that's possible for okay. us to do because of. 15, because of the Palmer fix. Right. Okay. Well, okay. I'm glad I, I established that. I mean, I'm in favor of square footage fees and Councilmember Hunt and I did the item a, a, a while back because um, uh, there were ways to gain the system uh, using the units, the unit as the metric. I have another question um, and it relates to ADU law. If our ADU laws subject to impact fees, are ADUs, the construction of ADUs subject to impact? I'm sorry, to affordable housing fees. We specifically in the ordinance, because state law does not allow us to apply um, the requirements or the in lieu fee to ADUs. And that's in the built into the ordinance, which is the definition of residential units. So yeah, ADU, we cannot apply it to ADUs or JADUs. Okay, so if somebody... Um, let's say hypothetically built a 4,000, let's, let's say 3,000 square foot structure and had um, 
eight units in there and didn't have to pay a fee because it was 3,000 square feet and then built two additional ADUs, they wouldn't have to pay any impact fees. I mean, any affordable housing fees. That's correct under the, I guess you're saying the hypothetical solution of the 3,000 square foot limit yes. plus the ADUs, which are not, the, which to which this doesn't apply. Right. Okay, that seems a little lopsided to me, especially since each of those ADUs can be 1,200 square feet. So you could actually build a considerable amount of housing and not pay an affordable housing fee. I just want to put that out there as a kind of contradiction in, 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 in what we're trying to do. Um, um, I think that both proposals are, are sort of trying to get at the same thing, and I don't think they're that far apart. And I think that we could actually come to an agreement about what would make sense um, and have a unanimous vote, hopefully. But I really feel like in some ways we're just poking around in the dark until we have a feasibility study. Uh, we don't really know what's going to work and what's not going to work. And so this seems to me to be just an exercise in, I don't know why, but wh why aren't we waiting for the feasibility study before we set the fees? We are. Uh, Alisa? Sorry, I thought that was a policy question for, for colleagues, not for me. Um, we we are. Uh, I, I think the original staff proposal was just acknowledging that that we don't have a you know a magic wand and we don't have the feasibility study for the smaller projects. But we were trying to accomplish um, the uh, the smaller project piecemealing and the cliff problem um, yeah. while you know giving a tier a ramp down for fee for smaller projects to be able to have some fee and give something towards affordable housing, but not the full fee. So that was just our original proposal, acknowledging that there was a uh, feasibility study that would come soon on the heels of this, but but trying to at least have an interim solution that would address some of the other council goals. And and what is the, um, what is the urgency of doing that before we have the feasibility study? I guess I'm not understanding why we're not waiting for the full study to have this discussion, why we're having the discussion now. Now, Council Member Wengroff, that, that's, thank you. That's, that's an excellent question. I do want to observe there is a feasibility study as part of this analysis that was conducted. It's included in the packet um, that was conducted at kind of at the outset of this project. Um, as we've been engaging in this policy work and engaging with, with, with city council and with the commissions, a number of additional research questions have come up that are going to certainly inform the next, uh, the next feasibility analysis. And I understand HHCS is, is going to be ready to release a solicitation for that work pretty soon. Um, in the meantime, the, the ordinance resolution before you represent a significant a significant amount of staff work that's that's um, been underway for the last couple of years. We do think that there, as we went over on on January seventeenth, 
there are a number of changes um, that this will implement that we really see as, as dramatic improvements to the city's affordable housing policy, um, including, but certainly not limited to, the switch from a per unit calculation to a per square foot calculation. Um, we, we, we certainly feel strongly in, in, the, in the recommendations and in the policy changes there that are before you. And so that, that said, you know, council could choose to wait um, to wait until you have the next feasibility analysis to take any action. Um, but, you know, that, that, that's just a policy choice. And, and you have the opportunity now to enact um, a number of improvements to the affordable housing policy. Um, okay, thank you for that. And so is it, is it your thinking that once we get that next feasibility study, we will evaluate and see if we need to make changes to whatever we pass hopefully tonight? Yes, that will be an option for city council to consider. And the things we've talked about specifically are the fee level itself, the fee yeah. amount itself, and then also the applicability of the fee to smaller projects. Right. Those are both things that would be under policy consideration when we bring the feasibility analysis results back before policymakers. Okay. So looking at the two, uh, the three proposals that are on the floor, actually, the staff proposal, the Harrison proposal, and the um, Taplin-Humbert proposal, I'm going to um, put out for your consideration, it's not a motion yet, but I'm going to put out for your consideration an idea that anything under 5,000 square feet is exempt, that from 5,000 square feet to 12,000 square feet, the fee is $48 a square foot, and that anything over 12,000 square feet is uh, the staff recommendation of $56 a square foot. That, I mean, it's simple. I found the Taplin Humbert proposal a little complicated with all of the bedrooms and counting all of that. It was very complicated. Um, I think three thousand square feet is um, um, is is a little small, and I think that neighborhoods like Mark Humbert referenced the Elmwood and certainly parts of District Six. Um, which was basically built after 1923, after the 1923 fire, has lots of fourplexes, lots of sixplexes, um, mostly south of Cedar, but in other parts as well. So I think that we could accommodate more units in, in some places, and I do support this idea of gentle density. And so that I feel like that proposal kind of takes into consideration all three proposals, everybody sort of gives a little, but hopefully uh, we can all we can all support it. And then when this new um, feasibility study comes back uh, in a year or whenever it is, um, you know we can reevaluate the fee schedule and the square footage threshold. So um, that's just out there for you for you to mull over. Uh, while we have this discussion. Thank you. Thank you. If I may, I, I have a question, if I can go before Councilor Hahn. 
Um, it's really a procedural question um, with respect to both the Harrison and Taplin supplementals, but specifically the one from Councilor Taplin. So as mayor, my job is, is really to serve as a parliamentarian and to enforce the rules, whether they're the Brown Act, the rules of procedure, state law. And I'm just curious about whether this idea of an additional exemption for projects of five to eight units, whether that was considered by the Planning Commission. Because state law does not, because this is an amendment to the zoning ordinance, and state law doesn't allow us to consider a substantive change to the zoning code unless it was considered by the Planning Commission first. The staff have a st staff and planning or legal have a response to that. Mayor Ergin, the Planning Commission did broadly consider a number of options for exemptions, such as, um, such including raising the 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 per unit or size threshold uh, for exemptions. There were there were there were not up to what. Uh, um, <clears throat> there were not written proposals in front of them, but um, our past practice for interpreting this section of the zoning ordinance has been to to um, kind of broadly interpret the planning commission's consideration of policy proposals, and so um, you know, I I, I guess I I could can, we could confirm with the city attorney's office on this. Yeah, it's Mr. Darrow here. Did you hear my question, Mr. Darrow? I did, and I can I can confer with uh, with Jordan and and Elisa if you'd like for a moment, and then we can sure. we can respond. Okay. I mean, it's really a question of you know, can we consider tonight, or does that have to be referred to the Planning Commission? So that's I just want to get clarity on that as we're contemplating various potential actions. Um, you know, I, yes. Does somebody wish to speak? No. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, I'll just say that, um, you know, to exempt projects with units, um, above five units is a substantial change in city housing policy. Since 1986, when the, when the city council approved the inclusionary zoning ordinance, it is always applied to projects of five units or more. And I just, I don't feel comfortable deviating from longstanding city housing policy. I was prepared to consider exempting smaller projects and I supported that at council uh, previously. But I think this is a very significant change. There was a feasibility analysis that, that looked at projects above five, five units or more. So we have that information. So I, I and it showed that the the fee was economically feasible, in, including at the 2020 level. So I don't know why why there's a feasibility argument that projects above five units can't support contributing to the city's critical need for affordable housing. And I guess at some point, you know, I I just frankly think that we have to draw the line for are we going to stand up for affordable housing and make sure that projects pay their fair share. Um, I think that 5,000 units is probably too big. Maybe it's 4,000, 4,500, because that's roughly a five-unit project, I think. 
900 square feet times five, that may be the right threshold to set it at. So I hope that we can have a conversation around the size um, as being the, of the threshold, um, at which point the exemption would, would kick in. Um, and we'll get more feasibility analysis for these smaller projects and we'll make adjustments. Thank you, Councilor Hunt. Thank you very much. So, uh, you know, I think what has happened here is a lot of things have gotten conflated. Um, we're, we're, we're looking at two things. First, there was this idea of getting rid of the per unit basis for the fee. Um, this is something that, uh, that, that I feel very strongly that we, that we need to do. And we need to do it as quickly as possible. We've seen the fee gamed when it is a per unit fee. The second issue that we're grappling with here is should we at the same time that we move from a per unit to a per square foot fee, should we also adjust the fee? And there's a number of different ways that we might adjust the fee that have been on the table here. Um, there was uh, the idea of, of going back to sort of a pre-inflation fee. There's the idea of scaling the fee down for units that start at 12,000 square feet. Then there was the idea of um, continuing to exempt some smaller category of um, development from the fee entirely. Um, and now we have like another brand new idea that I have never heard or seen before. And I think the mayor raises a good question. I, I'm not sure that the planning commission ever considered it um, of, you know, sort of different fees for smaller units, small, small, small projects with small Footprint. You know, it, these are all different ideas about how and where we might reduce the fee. The question of whether and how we would reduce the fee um, is really something best answered when we have a new feasibility study. And so until we have that study, we're kind of, I think it was. Councilmember Rengraf said we're kind of feeling around in the dark here, right? Um, and that's why my emphasis at our last meeting was hurry up. We need the study. Until we have the study, we're, you know, we're just kind of approximating things when we're talking about changing the fee, any type of change to the fee, where it's applied whether it's discounted, you know, et cetera. So I would like to just be really clear that I think we need to switch from a per unit to a per square foot fee right now. I feel like we have to go ahead and do that. And if I had my druthers, we would simply do our very, very best job of translating the existing 
fee from a per unit to a per square foot fee. We would just do it clean. And then we would wait on all these questions about raising, lowering, scaling, cliffs, staircases, and all that to a time when we actually have real data in front of us. For me, the best translation from a per unit to per square foot fee is to is what we what we did last uh, at our last meeting, which is you only apply the fee to the habitable unit. You don't apply the fee to stairwells and hallways and all that. And I think we all agreed on that. That's already done. But I just want to say, for me, that is part of trying to make that direct translation. So the other direct translation, and the only other trans direct translation I'm personally comfortable doing, is trying to translate the exemption that we currently have for, um, is it for under five units or up to four units? How is it said? Someone can remind me. Uh, Minister Buckley? Right now we exempt up to four units. Is that what we exempt? Yes, that's right. Okay. Could you, do you know offhand very approximately or perhaps exactly what the average size of new units is in Berkeley? Or is that something perhaps that perhaps uh, somebody knows? Is it approximately 500 square feet, 750, 1,000? Perhaps the study? Um, well, I, I would say that it varies by project size. So typically, a small project of four units would have larger units. We typically mm -hmm. see more like detached condominiums that are okay. about 1,500 square feet or 2,500 square feet each versus a large project that might have a lot of studios and one bedrooms. Mm -hmm. So do you think um, 1,500 square feet would be a decent stand-in for the average unit size of a four-unit um, project? It's really hard to say, but I, I would say that that's part of the staff thinking of why we suggested a number of different tiered cutoffs of 8,000 or 12,000. Yeah, I, I like that personally, but I think to the extent that I think what we're getting at here is people seem to just want to translate what we have now from units to square feet. And I'm just trying to, you know, is it is people seem to still be comfortable having that cliff. Um, I will tell you, I personally like your ramp down, but I think we should look at that when we have the feasibility study in hand. Right now, what I'm looking for is how do we take what we have now and translate it to a square foot? Uh, so, you know, perhaps somebody can, um, can uh, provide uh, a reasonable translation. Um, what I would like is the average unit size um, in the city that's being built. If you think that's not a fair representation of smaller projects, then uh, if somebody can just, you know, come up with it. 
I, I'm guessing it's probably around 4,000 square feet. So if we're going to do a direct translation, I would just make the cliff at 4,000 square feet. And let's just remember, it's temporary. We're talking about something that's going to be in place for like one year. That's it. Okay? We will solve the more complicated problems of discounts, if any, ramps, if any, um, when we have the feasibility study. I, that is the sense that I get from my council colleagues. They want this, uh, you know, they want to retain the exemption for the equivalent of a four-unit project. Um, so let's just translate that and get on with it. Because what I'd really like to do is do that direct translation, send all these other ideas to be studied, and we can look at them when we have data. So that's what I would do now, uh, given what I've heard from my colleagues at the last meeting at this meeting. I think we just need to do that translation and, and leave all this uh, guessing about where we should start discounting things for another day when we have real information soon. So I, I don't know whose proposal that is, um, but um, I will say that, uh, you know, I think that, that the ideas that Councilmember Chaplin and Humber put forward are intriguing. Um, to me, they're brand new. Uh, I am not particularly comfortable I evaluating them and comparing those ideas to other ideas uh, through a supplemental process. Um, I would prefer, uh, perhaps we can refer uh, for the study to look at things like this, and um, or they could introduce this as a separate item and it can be referred to the Planning Commission and it can be thought through. I personally uh, am not comfortable incorporating this uh, at this time. I, should I make a motion and just put a motion on the floor? Well, we have, uh, not, we have not opened the public hearing yet, so I don't think a motion okay. in order, but- All right, yeah, all right, I'm done, thank you. Anyone has a motion, please hold it in advance and we'll, we'll take it up after we have public testimony. This was intended for uh, questions. Um, thank you. Uh, Councilor Robinson. Thank you, Mayor Ergin. And thank you, Councilmember Hahn. I think translating is the word I've been looking for, and my questions will sound very similar to yours. Um, let me say first, our discussion about this package of reforms a few weeks ago was one of my favorite council discussions we've had in months. It was super in the weeds, uh, super important implications. And I actually walked out of it feeling differently about one specific policy choice that I had thought I had come into the discussion pretty settled on, the, uh, the gross versus net residential area question, uh, which was refreshing. I, I love it when that happens. Uh, but we're here to revisit a specific subset of the package, the exemption for small projects. Um, when we first took this up, I felt, pretty plainly and simply, if we were to maintain the exemption at all, we should maintain the same exemption and the same system for the exemption until the forthcoming study of those smaller unit sizes was concluded. But 
I absolutely agreed that having a, a per unit system for the exemption and a per square foot system for the fee itself could lead to the same gamesmanship that we were trying to avoid. Uh, it would be incredibly clunky uh, not respond to one of the specific situations that we set out to resolve. So yeah, I really do want to thank Councilmember Harrison for putting this back on the table. If we are going to move to also having a square footage system for the exemption, it's important to me that we adopt an exemption that is at least equivalent to the previous exemption. Translated again, I, I like that word, Councilmember Hunt. Um, that number I had thought coming into this conversation would be 4,500, based on my understanding that 900 square feet was the unit size assumption that had been used in the study from Street Level Advisors' work. Uh, Mr. Klein, or perhaps Mr. Jacobus, uh, was wondering if you could illuminate for me some of the methodology that brought us to that number, uh, if I'm understanding it correctly. So the math I'm doing here, I think, is as simple as multiplying 900 by 5. But I hope that that might be the threshold, the translation that we're looking for. Hi, Rick. How are you? Rick, please go ahead. Thank you. Um, I, I think that you are applying the math appropriately, but I want to caution that it's not the appropriate math anymore once we're talking about these small units. So what we looked at was the typical size for units in larger apartment buildings. And so it doesn't tell us very much. And this is kind of the whole question you're all struggling with. Our study really wasn't focused on four unit, six unit buildings. Our study was focused on 20, 40, 60 unit buildings. And so the typical size for those buildings isn't very much help with what the typical size for a small building would be. So what, what Steve Buckley was saying a few minutes ago is probably more useful. The other thing I would say is the average isn't necessarily the important issue now. If what you're trying to do is preserve the exemption that you had in place before, it might be that larger than average four unit buildings would have been exempt. So it's a question of what you're trying to do. But if that's what you're trying to do, you might want a higher than the average number. Um, I want to say one other thing. This is just editorializing. I've worked with a lot of city councils on this thing, this policy, and I've never seen a council understand these issues as well as you all do. And it's it's really impressive that you're having this debate over this specific issue. And I just, I hope you'll take a minute to congratulate yourselves on like, you're really, really down in the weeds on this. And it is, it does matter, but it doesn't matter very much whether you choose 3,000 square feet or 5,000 square feet right now. E either way, you're talking about yeah. something that no other council in the state would even be able to understand the question. It's because so, so many of us went to or are currently attending the Goldman School, Rick. <laughs> I don't know about that, but it's it's impressive. So thank you. I appreciate that fully. Yeah, we're uh, we're beating ourselves up a little bit. Um, so to yeah, now this is challenging. Thinking now of the uh, twelve fifty number that Mr. Buckley alluded to earlier for projects more in this universe. Multiplying that by five, we would be looking at like a 6250 max cutoff, which is a very different number than what we were just talking about. Here, let me uh, let me think about that more, but um, leave my thoughts where they were, where I rose my hand, which was to to volunteer to try to follow Councilmember Wengraff's lead and not making a motion, but just putting sort of a dream motion on the table. Thinking of that 900. Uh, I was thinking 4,500 could be 
the translation, the threshold that would work best for us. Uh, I'm learning more and could be convinced that maybe there's a better number to it. Um, but uh, rather than having a different fee for projects up to uh, a certain square footage, I would like us to stick to the sliding scale that was initially proposed by staff, regardless of where the exemption sits, regardless of where that cuts off on the better end. Um, yeah, I, I think maybe the bigger theme here, as we talked about a lot at the last meeting, um, you know, the housing market received so many shocks that forecasting absolute feasibility uh, is incredibly difficult. Um, so anyway, I hope we'll err a little on the side of a cushion if we have to pick one side or the other. Um, okay, I'll think more about this, but 4,500 and the sliding scale, that's a motion I could be very happy with. I'll leave that there. Thank you. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, well, if it's okay, can I go to those councilmembers that have not yet spoken? Uh, Councilmember Humbert? Oh, certainly that's fine. Um, I've already spoken, so if you'd like to, to call on someone else before me, that's fine. Why don't you go now? Okay, I, I'd be happy to. Then. And then we'll go to the um, council members. I, I didn't go to the Goldman School. I went to the law school at Berkeley many years ago, and I didn't study planning. But I have to say that I, I agree. I, I'm liking what I'm hearing from council, mem council member Robinson. Um, 4,500 square feet sounds like a good number. I would like to keep the graduated um, discount scale in place um, for the time being simply because um, that's what uh, staff recommended and that's what we reported to HCD um, as part of our effort to encourage um, the construction of new housing in Berkeley. And I would be very concerned about um, uh, removing that. Um, those, are, those are just, those are my comments, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Council Member Harrison. Yeah, I'm I'm not fixated on 3,000 or 4,000 or whatever, but I do want to say it's four and fewer, not five and fewer, and I want to make sure that we maintain that. It has never been five units. It's always been four. So I, I think going 4,000, 4,500 does not bother me. That isn't my concern. My concern is we do by square footage that we not say this is true until April of 2025. We're about to have a study. Why would we do that? Let's see what the study shows. And number three, I don't agree with the ramping down because we ramped down to a number, which Mr. Jacobus very carefully set to get us to these smaller units. And now we don't know what we're ramping down to. You know the reality of life. Once you set a discount, you're never gonna go back up. I think we should set the fee at the 5,500 or whatever the amount is uh, per square foot up to those smallest units that they're going to study and indicate we're interested in a ramp down once we know what we're ramping down to. I don't know what I'm ramping to. I can't ramp when I don't know where the landing place is. So that really concerns me. Um, so lowering and then increasing just doesn't work for me. And the April 2025 date doesn't work for me in talking with Dr. Varhus. They seem to understand that. And again, I'm not fixated on what the exact size is. I will say, having learned about these ADU and JDUs being excluded, that I'm less concerned about the example that Councilmember Taplin gave. But I really appreciate his and Councilmember Humbert's willingness to think about 
really owner occupied versus developer built housing. And that's something I'm really interested in. And I think we need to figure that out. And I want to say that SB9 figures that out by saying that when you do a lot split, you have to live there for at least a year. So the state recognized that principle. And I really appreciate you bringing that up because I think there is a world of difference of somebody splitting the property they live in to allow their family and other people to live there than a developer. But in, I'm just going to go back to what I said before. I don't know what I'm ramping down to. So my suggestion was very straightforward. Let's pick a number. Don't care if it's three, 4,500, not important to me, that they're going to study specifically. And when we know what that is, then we can build back up to the, the amount for over X units at some rational level. The reason Mr. Jacobus did it that way was he had fees for the smallest projects. So he had a scale. We don't have a scale now. We have a cliff. So if we ramp to a cliff, we're still encouraging the cliff. And I, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. But I do appreciate all these comments because I think we're all heading in the, the same general direction. If we could just get to this point of saying, let's pick 4,500 Let's not say they're exempt until April of 2025, a date, I don't know where that came from, and let's not ramp down. That's what, that's what I would like to see. Um, and again, it's above four. It's not above, it's not five and more, it's four and more has been our tradition. So I want to be clear on that, that that's what we're translating. Um, but I appreciate all these comments. They've been really illuminating and helpful. Can, can I ask Ms. Shen a question, if I might? Why did you pick the April 2025 date? Um, that date was an outside date by which we felt that the feasibility study would be done and recommendations would be going, um, would have gone through the adoption process, um, planning commission, work sessions, council, et cetera. So it was just, um, you know, of course, things could be done more quickly um, and ordinance amendments could be brought forward more quickly, but that was sort of a buffer date as to, you know, signal to, uh, you know, to applicants out there that we had considered eliminating the exemption in the first proposal and that we would revisit it by that time. Okay, so I would just personally be more comfortable once adopted, whatever the fee is, then it expires. I just don't like this date. The date throws me off completely. So anyway, thank you very much for all of your work. And I wanted to say one other thing I didn't get to say at the beginning here, which is everything else in this study is fantastic dealing with live work, dealing with the difference between condos and rentals, favoring family size housing. You know, there's just like so much good stuff in here. And we're talking about the margins here. So I don't want anyone to think that we think that what has been done is not useful. It's incredibly useful. So I see that we have two options. We either adopt the rest of it and say, we're not doing anything about the fees right now, or we adopt the rest of it. And for the fees, we say, don't do the ramping down until we know what this number is at the bottom. Those are our, our two choices. So um, thank you again for all of your work because the rest of this study was really, 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 really helpful. And I, I super appreciate it. And I like getting rid of the difference in condos and rentals quite a lot. Um, I will, the last thing I will say at this point is that uh, using an example of condos, Mr. Buckley is not really very illuminating. Um, we're looking at rentals in Berkeley, which I think is great. And that's really what we're building. And I want to build more condos, but I don't think they are typical. So I hope as you do this study, you're going to look at rentals, not condos. Thank you. Okay, let's go to the three remaining council members. Uh, we have not opened the public hearing. We also need to take a captioner break after the 
we take public testimony um, or we can continue the discussion. Um, Councilmember Weingraf. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I want to look at this through a slightly different lens. Um, we passed a policy um, in support of missing of missing middle housing. So for me, the question is, what do what kind of housing do we want to incentivize by not charging a fee? That that to me is 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 the question. The fact that four units and less have not been charged a fee is very interesting to me. I'd like to know how many structures of four units or less have been built in the past 30 years? Probably very few. Probably not charging the fee didn't make much difference because it's just fees, it's not economically feasible to build such a small project, even if you don't pay the affordable housing fee. So, I mean, maybe staff has some data on that. How many new buildings of four units or less have been constructed? Is that to see whether the fact that we're not charging those fees has worked to incentivize that kind of construction? My sense is very few, but if we had data, it would it it would be great. So, what kind? You know, I'm I'm all for tradition, and I it's it's odd that I'm saying this, but maybe it's time to break tradition. We have a housing crisis. Maybe it's time to look at a different formula. Maybe we should say less than six units hey, or less than X, Y, Z square footage doesn't pay a housing fee in order to incentivize that kind of, that kind of construction. That's what I thought this was all about. So um, I, just, I, I just wanted to raise that because... Um, I don't understand the justification for sticking with four units or less if, in fact, it hasn't served our community well. Am, am I making my point? Do yeah. The I'm reason saying? I supported exempting projects with fewer than five residential units is because we hadn't conducted a feasibility study with regard to the effect of assessing a fee at the amount we're assessing it at for those projects. That's why I supported exempting those projects. So but, exempting it until we do the feasibility study. Yeah, that's what that's ostensibly what we did when we adopted the ordinance um, several weeks ago. Okay, thank you. Uh, Councilor Hahn. We, then we need to, we need to, um, Councilor Weingraf, I'm going to, after case of I'm going to go to uh, public public testimony. People, I, I, I don't have my hand up. Oh, you had your hand up, but you took it down. Yeah, okay. I just spoke, yeah. Councilor Rahan, you had your hand up. Yes, thank you. 
Um, yeah, I just really want to um, emphasize again uh, that I just think, given that the whole question of how much to charge, whether to ramp down, where to have a cliff, if any, is so much better had when we have the study in hand. I really I appreciate that we all have opinions without having data, but um, I would like us to do that piece when we have the data and we're gonna have it soon. The sooner we get this passed, the sooner Mr. Zachary can go and, or whoever gets the, you know, the, the project can go and start doing it and they're gonna come back to us as soon as possible. That's why I really think we should stick with the direct translation of what we have now. And let me just say that I don't think there's any particular rationality that I know of for having exempted the smaller projects forever. But we have, and we don't have data and studies to tell us whether that was a good idea, whether it should continue, and where and how we might do other discounts. Um, I do want to say that uh, when we get the data, if the data shows that uh, ramp down is a good idea, then I will support this, what I think very ingenious, very smart, small steps, which may look complicated, but they, they are, it's, it's a brilliant way to not have weird incentives that you get with a cliff. And so I just wanna say if the data shows that a ramp down is warranted, tells us where we should begin it, gives us an idea of where it should end, tells us whether there is financial feasibility to pay fees for single family, duplex, quad, six, 12, whatever, I will support that very smart um, soft ramp. I just don't think we should do it today. Um, and I, I want to speak to Council Member uh, Harrison's concern about April 2025. Um, I had that same concern. We talked about it at our last meeting. And I think the mayor made it very clear. It was until April 2025, or if we change it earlier, based on having this study. We, I mean, I, I tried to make that amendment, and I was assured that it wasn't until April 2025 even if we have new data and we set different fees, it was an outside number. But you know, I think if we if we really want assurance, it could be until council changes it or April 2025. But we already we already had that conversation, and um, I was assured publicly that um, we were not going to stick with it until then if we got our data before then and we made other decisions. Um, I will just go back again to what I said before, what, uh, throwing out my dream uh, um, motion would be the direct translation. And that would mean uh, translating four units at 1,000 or 1,250 square feet, have a cliff, like we've always had, don't include um, common areas in the square footage count and 
get on with it. Thank you. Councilmember Kesawani. Thank you very much. I just wanted to ask a few questions. One is that I know we're focused on the four units and less or vehicle and square footage and less being exempted until April 2025. But um, but uh, if staff could could just confirm for me um, the fees for all of those square footage gradations up to 12,000, none of that is based on any feasibility study, correct? Um, right. Mr. Right. Jacobus had spoken to that last meeting in terms of there isn't really a, a, a magic to that number um, other than and the, that the feasibility studies that he did, as he said, was on 20 units, 40 units, like larger projects. Larger project. However, okay. the okay. The intent was no, just, I got to it. just confirming and... because I feel like that's just getting lost. So, so, okay. So, so, so 12,000 and less, whatever fees are in the staff item, those are, I don't want to say arbitrary, but they're not based on a feasibility study. Okay. So then the, and I think council member Harrison brought this up last time, choosing to stop at 12,000 and say any, everything and anything above that is going to face that one fee level of the 5625. Um, I believe that was also somewhat of an arbitrary decision, or is there some data that that 12,000 is some kind of plateau or threshold where we see a lot of um, projects that are always, you know, 12,000 and up, and then the ones that are smaller are always less. Uh, Mr. Jacobus, do you have anything on that? No, I'm just confirming. There's no <clears throat> there's no uh, empirical basis for that 12,000. We, we simply phased in in equal steps and got to 12,000, trying to, to address okay. the Okay, <laughs> so you were, all righty. So, okay, so you were kind of, you had increments, and once you got to the 5625, you got to 12,000, essentially. Okay. Okay. And then, you know, to Councilmember Wengraf's questions about, uh, you know, the frequency with which we see fourplexes and these types of four units and less projects, um, can staff just tell us how many SB9 applications have come in? Yeah, we have a, uh, about 10. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> That's yeah. more than one. Okay, so 10, 10 have come in. And and yeah. those applications, like there's no square footage limitation, right? When people come in to do a duplex or to split the lot and do two duplexes. Do you have that information of how many people are doing four units versus two units of those 10 projects? They're mostly two units. Uh, okay. And so... Um, they're adding a unit. They're adding a unit or uh, developing a vacant lot with two units, uh, sometimes with an ADU, uh, sometimes it's a lot split. So we have different scenarios. Okay. All right. So, you know, I have to agree with Mr. Jacobus. I, I, I thought the staff item was fine um, because, and the real reason why is because, I mean, whether you want to do four units and less or you want to come up with some square footage that you believe is approximately equivalent to four units, we're just talking about a temporary period of time to get to the feasibility study. We know that this whole scheme up to 12,000 square feet is somewhat arbitrary. So, 
you know, I, I think this is just a temporary, um, the way I look at it is like, we're going to try to improve and build upon this. So, you know, I didn't have any problem with the, the staff item. And I, I guess I'm trying to understand, you know, what are we trying to guard against in the next two years? The, I, I guess it's the fear that somebody is going to come in with a huge uh, four unit project. I, I guess I guess that's the fear. Um, and um, I, I guess I just, I just feel like this is a temporary thing. I'm just not sure that that fear is really um, such a major concern for, for this temporary period of time. And, um, but, you know, I, I do want us to pass something tonight because there's a lot of other benefits to this item. And if we can get to something that is workable for a majority of the council, I think that would be great. And um, I, I would also err on probably if we're going to switch to square footage, which I don't really see why we need to, but if we, if we want to do this, um, we should probably go for an above average amount, um, you know, maybe something like 1200 square feet per unit. Okay, I'll leave it at that. So everyone's spoken except Councilmember Bartlett. So I'm going to call on these last two council members, and I've been informed by the city clerk we do need to take a 10-minute caption and break, um, and then, we, then we'll proceed to public testimony. We don't need to – we're not – we need to take public testimony first before we entertain any motions or take any action. So um, – I will recognize Councilmember Robinson and then Harrison, and then we'll take a 10 minute break. Councilmember Robinson. Hi, thank you. I swear this is a question. Um, I've been really interested in the discussion of the ramp down that we've been having and some of my colleagues' uh, uh, hesitances about it or desire to drop it. I wanted to ask one specific question, uh, perhaps of Mr. Klein. It was mentioned by a colleague earlier that the ramp down was a policy or program described in our housing element. I was curious if you could elaborate on the extent to which we should be worried about dropping that, if that is something that we're in the process of being certified for and is described in the element that we adopted. Let me revisit the specific language, Councilmember Robinson. Mm -hmm. I, I, I I think it's it's a relatively minor issue, especially given that it looks like the city council is is likely going to retain some kind of exemption for smaller projects, um, even if it's not exactly what we wrote about. I think, but let me let me revisit the language and get back to you. Sure, thank you, uh, Mr. Klein. Appreciate. It. I think it'd be valuable for us to just have crystal clear clarity on that before we adopt any motion. Um, but given that, you know, I think one way or another, you know, perhaps it's a uh, 1250 number that Mr. Buckley described. If we took that out by four, we'd be looking at a 5,000 square foot threshold for an average unit size 1250 fourplex threshold. That's, and either with or without the ramp down, I'm trying to consolidate the comments and discussion we've had to a, a good place. That could sound good. Yeah, I'll leave it there. Thank you. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, we're also, we have to submit edits to the state. So if we take an action, we could always revise it to reflect the 
revised action, but really we're talking about translating the previous action we've taken and, and representing it in a different fashion in terms of how the fees are assessed. It's not, it doesn't sound like it's gonna be a very substantive change to the policy direction council previously adopted. Councilmember Bartlett, then Harrison, and then we are taking a break. I'm not gonna recognize any other council members. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor, and apologies to uh, my colleagues and everyone. Uh, I have no internet. The uh, UFOs appear to have taken out my router, uh, so I'm on my phone, so it's touch and go. Uh, but I have been listening and uh, and definitely have read and appreciated uh, the supplemental materials uh, from my colleagues as well as the staff report. And, you know, honestly, going into this uh, this debate, this is one of those moments where um, it's, it's, it's in, in, in my point of view, it's um, excessively nuanced and excessively um, uh, you know, riddled with the need for expertise in terms of uh, you know choosing these numbers <laughs> that uh, that uh, you know by all by all accounts uh, appear to be um, uh, subject to debate as, as to as to their efficacy and to their nature. Um, you know, I'm just going on my my gut instinct, and this is reflected by my constituents um, who who wish to you know in the absence of uh, of any real data, one or the other. Uh, wish to defer on the side of uh, funding affordable housing uh, and then recalibrating from there, but letting that be the baseline impetus uh, of our actions. Um, so that's really the, the extent of, um, of my input, um, just that I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm persuaded by the need to just always go affordable housing first and then let the, um, let the, let the more perfect element emerge in time. Thank you. Okay, Councilmember Harrison, and then we will take a, a break for the captioner. Okay, um, that's not very, very helpful, Councilmember Bartlett, because I was going to say we're forgetting this entire context. We're in the land of talking about what's going to incentivize or not incentivize private construction. What we're missing in this discussion, this is real money that comes to the city. If a four, if there's 4,500 square feet times $56 a square foot, that's $252,000 to the affordable housing fund. We are so far behind on building affordable housing and so far ahead on building market rate, 150% plus on market and 4% on low, zero on moderate and about 30% on very low. So it depends on your perspective. I want us to build more integrated and more affordable housing. And one way we do that is by encouraging developers to build on site, not give us the money to build later Etc. If you want building in high resource neighborhoods, the building that's going on there is largely from the private sector. We've had a couple of great examples beyond that of like Jordan Court and uh, the project in Councilmember Hans District, which I so appreciate her work on that on Solano. But basically, we're seeing a lot of concentration of the below market rate of the uh, sorry housing built by nonprofit developers in the downtown not in high resource neighborhoods. That is specifically not a high resource neighborhood. So if that's what we're really about, we need money for affordable housing. And we keep forgetting that. We are not just in the business of incentivizing the private sector. We're in the business of promoting a public good, which is integrated housing at all income levels. So I just feel like the discussion is kind of on the wrong foot. This is real money for real projects with our real nonprofit partners. And let's let's not forget that. So thank you. Okay. We do need to take a break for our remote captioner. So after when we come back, I will will not I will not go to the council. We're going to go straight to public comment. 
and then um, at, at the conclusion of the public hearing, we can go back to a discussion and hopefully have a motion to take some action tonight. So 10 minutes, we'll take a 10 minute captioning break. We'll be back at 8.43. Um, thank you. Recording stopped.
Recording in progress. Okay. Can everyone hear me now? Okay, uh, we're back in session. If the members of the council can please rejoin us. And I now would like to open the public hearing on item 13 A and B, citywide affordable housing requirements. We'll first take any testimony from anyone who's present at the boardroom at 1231 Addison Street. Um, please come forward to the podium and then we'll go to the speakers on Zoom. Good evening again, great mayor, uh, Ergin and this uh, council people and Bibber Berkeley. Just a history, since I lived here in, since 1965. In 1968, my late wife Anne and I bought house in Cragmont, just off Santa Barbara Street, with 28,000. In 1978, I bought my house in Euclid with 101,000. Why? Why? Everybody have to think what is happening with housing right now, the way it's going, everybody be homeless. And not only that, you have to figure one of the, my business went down because before people paid 18% of their income on housing. Now, how much percent people being in their housing? And, you know, uh, we have to do something. It has to be in federal level because it, you have to think why this so much increase in housing happened in the last, not very long, say 40 years, just awful. And it's going to continue. The main reason for it is the Wall Street, is Milton Friedman and the whole new liberal economies that, uh, that took over this country from Reagan time until now. I want people to think about it. Just a 28,000 door house in Berkeley in 1968 now sells for over 2 million or 3 million. $25,000 house in 1970 on uh, McGee and University Avenue sold last month or a couple of months ago for 2 million. That is obscene. That is really obscene. Thank you, Mir. Great to give me the opportunity to speak about that and look forward to seeing you again. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you. Honorable City Council, my name is Jonathan Astman. Uh, I appreciate that the council is trying to encourage production of missing middle housing. However, I believe the proposal to grant in lieu fee exemptions to smaller projects could be used to build small luxury projects with million dollar units that only become less and less affordable over time because their value is determined by the speculative market. Yeah. I'm concerned you'll also end up with brokers converting every three unit building uh, to condo, making a quick buck. Mm -hmm and uh, thereby taking three rental units off the market. If you want to encourage production of missing middle housing and, and ensure that it remains missing middle housing in perpetuity, deed restrict it, cap the sale price. This proposal is missing the deed restriction. Missing middle housing is by definition housing affordable to households whose incomes are 80% to 100 or 120% of median. That's a range of incomes. However, the draft ordinance number 7853 only offers one income level. It says essentially that new condo projects can restrict 20% of units at 80% AMI or pay a fee. 
To encourage production of missing middle housing, I propose offering a few paths. For example, also offering options to set aside, say, 40% of units at 90% AMI or 75% of units at 100% AMI. That is the heart of my request tonight. As a passion project for the past 18 months or so, I have been investigating how I might buy a modest apartment building in Berkeley and convert it to BMR condos. Uh, I'm happy to talk more about that offline. I see it as a proof of concept for creating affordable housing cheaply and simply. By opting the building into the city's inclusionary and BMR ownership housing program with its tight appreciation caps, I'd ensure that the building will not only stay affordable in perpetuity, but actually grow more and more affordable over time. It's like planting seeds that grow into affordable housing. I've looked at what apartment buildings are selling for currently. I've crunched the numbers, and I believe if you enact paths to inclusionary housing using 90% and 100% AMI levels, that I can pull this off with no government subsidy. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public here at the boardroom who would like to speak on item 13, the um, citywide affordable housing requirements? Okay, if not, we'll go to the uh, attendees on Zoom. Um, we'll go first to Zoom user. Zoom user, you should now be able to speak. Please unmute yourself. Hi, my name is Nagin Mossad, and I'm a member of the Berkeley Tenants Union Steering Committee and Friends of Adeline. I'm speaking on behalf of myself tonight. And to answer uh, Council Member Robinson, I have not been to the Goldman School, but I've been to the School of Humanity. I've been to the School of Community. I've been to the School of Equity. I know what is going on in our streets and I'm actually working with my community hands-on every day and hearing their stories. I have seen my community decimated and I have heard from their family members as we have heard from people in the, in the streets earlier today who have lost all their housing. This plan that you have, the confusion as, as uh, council member Han said is basically as our planning department is basically fishing for fools requesting that we actually give breaks to for-profit developers and, and not ask them for affordable housing fees. That's interesting. Are we getting a break on our rent? Are we getting a break on anything that we pay and our, our tax? No, we're not. In fact, we are asked to pay more and more to live here. When will we start actually collecting the affordable housing fees and building some below market rate housing that is affordable to families? Again, these um, buzzwords, redlining, exclusionary zoning, you're using these words out of context. We will only be able to have a housing that's affordable for people when we start building affordable housing. How can we do that? By levying fees to for-profit developers. As Bernie said, stop giving breaks to the billionaires and millionaires. Think about the everyday people. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Soli Alpert is our next speaker followed by Julie Cato. Good evening, Mayor and members of the City Council. My name is Soli Alpert, Vice Chair of the Berkeley Rent Board, speaking in my own capacity. Um, I support the compromise as articulated by Councilmember Harrison, which represents what I believe is the most direct translation of the current fee structure to a per square foot standard, uh, namely using a per square foot analysis for the exemption. Uh, 
setting that at 4,000 or 4,500, um, though lower would be preferable, but I think that's acceptable, uh, and not further reducing the fee for other projects. Um, I understand that people want to encourage more infill missing middle housing, especially for smaller unit sizes. I have great news. Moving from a per unit to a per square foot standard has this exact effect, eliminating the incentive to have larger units to avoid the fee. That's why I proposed and wrote that change four years ago. I also understand that people don't want to overburden smaller projects with large fees. Even more good news, a sliding per square foot squeak fee is by its very design proportional to the size of the project. Um, but let's be clear, when we're talking about for-profit new construction, there is no such thing as naturally occurring affordable housing. That's why we have the fee. In order to generate affordable housing in either fee or on-site units from the new for-profit development in our community. I would be very interested in seeing a proposal that waived the fee for the projects that were deed restricted for moderate income tenants, but that's not what's being proposed. And as the staff have already stated, ADUs and JDUs are already accepted. Now, with the failure of the bond measure, is not the time to defund affordable housing in our city by cutting taxes on developers. Because let's be clear, that's what expanding the exemption is, defunding the city's affordable housing fund. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Julia Cato, followed by Nico Nagel. Julia, you should not be able to speak. Hello. Um, well, I I wrote what I was going to say before the wide ranging discussion I just listened to, and so it's not entirely appropriate now. But this is what I have. I support item 13A, updating the citywide affordable housing requirements in the zoning ordinance with the changes proposed by council member Harrison. I'm opposed to the changes proposed by council members Taplin and Humbert. Offering developers the option to fee out for paltry sums has not led to desirable results, but to too much market rate housing and not the housing needed to house many of the people who work and live and want to live in Berkeley. Nor does it help the people who have lived here for a long time and have been priced out of their market rate apartments over the years. Council member Harrison's proposed square foot ordinance will begin to close loopholes that developers have used for decades to reduce the fees they pay, but will still give them more than sufficient discounts. The Taplin-Humbert supplement only increases those discounts without adding any benefits to the city or creating the kind of housing we actually need. Please support the Harrison supplemental that reduces the discounts given to developers and makes building several levels of affordability in one structure to create a more inclusive community, a feasible plan. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, our next speaker is Nico Nagel, followed by Becky O'Malley. Nico, you should now be able to speak. Hi, um, good evening, Council. Um, uh, thank you all, and actually a special thank you to staff for all of your work on all these items. Um, I recognize that you all have done an immense amount of work on uh, the areas of land use and zoning policy these days. Um, and so I want to be especially appreciative of that. Um, our, the hack team appreciates the goal of, of this policy change. We've seen this style of policy work in other cities, including San Jose. Um, my understanding is that exempting smaller projects is key to making sure that they get built uh, under this policy change. Um, uh, you know, between the proposals on the agenda 
uh, Hack strongly encourages you to move forward with the Taplin Humber proposal so that you can give the best chance of housing feasibility. You know, ultimately the context is, as we understand it is a yet to be accepted housing element. Given that it's very important that a policy change, if it's going to be made, ensures the creation of more housing, which we believe that that proposal does the best. Um, however, with all things, especially in this context, it's, it's our understanding that we wanna be very sure that that's going to work. And so an impact study, a feasibility study, we believe is crucial to, well, to understanding the impact of the policy change. Um, at this time, we just wanna be absolutely sure that we're making policy changes that create more housing and affordable housing. So um, that's where we stand right now. We certainly support um, the goal of policy change and given what's on the table, encourage you to move forward with the Humbert Taplin proposal. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Becky O'Malley followed by Elizabeth Kowal. Becky O'Malley, you should now be able to speak. Hello, um, I'd like to commend the council members who spoke up in favor of data. Um, if the, there's a strong temptation to do data-free planning, which is hard to resist. I was interested that Mr. Humbert um, identified himself as an attorney. I'm a recovering attorney myself. And there is a temptation to think that you, that you can logically understand the problem if you just thought through the alternatives. But actually data is really important and the data is out there. I have been reading and writing about this. Um, I think I started covering ABAG in 1974, as I remember. And I will tell you that there's plenty of data out there. There are plenty of papers, there are plenty of um, journalistic things. Um, there are all sorts of ways that people can inform you about the incentive you're creating with your, um, your the resolutions that you have in front of you. Um, you need to take advantage. Mr. Jacobus seems to me like he knows his stuff. You need to take uh, adv advantage of all of the sources of information that are available to you. It can be really data. Um, Mr. Taplin's um, anecdote was um, uh, moving, but the plural of anecdote is not data. Uh, we need more than just anecdotes. We need real numbers and then we will know what we will get by creating incentives. It would be terrible to create the wrong incentives. Um, it's better to wait until you know what you're talking about based on what's happened in other cities. Um, Mr. Jacobus mentioned that he had worked for a lot of cities and Berkeley people were most able to understand it. Well, he can bring that experience to bear in his advice to the city of Berkeley and I think everybody will be better off. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Elizabeth Kowal, followed by Moni Law. Elizabeth, you should now be able to speak. Hi, thank you. Um, I've lived in Berkeley for over 40 years. My son went to school here. My husband has a small business here. And I've been really confused and disillusioned about what's going on with the density housing. In Berkeley, we have been on the forefront of integrating our schools, 
of busing kids into different areas so that we will have inclusion. I was a special ed teacher. We had to work for years to get kids into the regular building. And here in my neighborhood, there is a proposed eight-story building in a neighborhood that was very diverse, blue collar when I moved in. And these developers are being allowed to pay money to have affordable housing elsewhere. It doesn't make sense. Already every building in our neighborhood that gets sold is 10 times more than it was. And people like me, a teacher or my husband, a blue collar worker could not live here. Right here on University in California, there is an opportunity to have some city workers come and live in the building. And I know it's up to Berkeley whether they're letting people buy out and then have segregated low-cost housing in other places. It's, and I have, am working with a neighborhood who feels the same. It's very disillusioning that we're going to make all these sacrifices for an eight-story building, which is ridiculous in height, and not have the benefit of having our diverse neighborhood stay somewhat diverse. So I I just hate the policy and I'm for inclusion. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, we'll go to our next speaker uh, who is Money Law, followed by Blair Beekman. Money Law, you should now be able to speak. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, I'm having a deja vu moment and I'm also in a sort of Alice in Wonderland space of going down a rabbit hole and I don't want to turn into Rip Van Winkle but nine years I actually attended land use meetings, planning commission meetings, ZAB meetings and city council to urge, plead, beg, cry, scream, holler for below market rate units on site as referenced by council member Harrison as urgently needed. On site I had Cal uh, interns actually study and call around to see if any of them had openings and most of them had long waiting lists. And some of you, um, I think Councilmember Wengraf and maybe the mayor were there when I would bring the list of BMR units and show you how short that list was and how much the demand was. There are students, Cal students, there are seniors who are aging in place and their income is not rising. They're trying to get the BMR units on site and not to be built somewhere else at another time. We actually had a nexus study at that time that held that objective evidence supported a developer meeting their ROI, their return on their investment at 20% set aside for BMR units. Instead, the council opted for 10%. And what was the result? We now have not met our arena numbers. We have failed miserably to provide low income and middle missing middle people income. 50% of the um, AMI are very rare. 30 to 50% are people on SSI or disability or low income. And they can't even get into a BMR unit because they're overpriced even at the BMR unit. We shouldn't give developers more discounts. We should provide on-site housing that's below market rate. And please realize that we're failing many Cal students and low income seniors by not doing everything in our power 
to ensure affordable housing now, not later and somewhere else, but on site as we build and not to give discounts. Um, I agree with the prior speaker at the end, uh, lectern that they could turn into condos and high expensive uh, doc, uh, uh, housing. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, our next speaker is Blair Beekman, followed by Reverend Sophia DeWitt. Blair Beekman, you should now be able to speak. Please unmute yourself. Hi, uh, Blair Beekman here. Happy 2023 to everyone. Um, I kind of am in the role of Rip Van Winkle in this life. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, but I, I thank you for your patience that you have with myself continually uh, on concepts that are a little, that I tend to lack uh, a better depth about, but yet I, I go forth and try to uh, offer some sort of public comment to uh, practice the good practice and the good, the good issues of community, community life. So thanks for your patience with that. Uh, I wanted to uh, thank Moni Law and others who've really made clear that they have some real deep-seated fears about uh, how uh, certain uh, middle-income housing projects are being talked about. Uh, you know, middle income seems to, it, it can be an interesting idea in transport around transportation uh, sites in the future and to really work well with uh, very low and extremely low income housing. Uh, maybe that's a way to really talk about the future of middle income that I think we're all trying to give it a break at this time. And now maybe that we have, it's time to better develop how it can be better connected to transit centers and say uh, uh, very low and extremely low income and even lower sets of income uh, levels in the future. I think people of middle income, like teachers and stuff, uh, they can be willing to make those uh, living lifestyle uh, changes and choices that uh, hope that can be respected in, in the future of such an issue as this. And with uh, 30 seconds uh, about, you know, I, I was interested in the idea of, of how Berkeley can build the future of four to six uh, apartments in the future. That, that seems really an important concept for the future of Berkeley that may not need uh, that much uh, incentive uh, housing to take away the in-lieu fees and maybe, you know, I think, that's a housing feature that could be an interesting concept for the future of Berkeley. Thanks. Thank you. Reverend Sophia DeWitt, followed by Janice Ching. Good evening, um, Mayor and Council members. Good evening, Mayor and Council members. Um, I want to uh, first thank staff for their hard work um, on uh, this item, and I want to say that of the options in front of you this evening, um, the current options, um, I'm here to support uh, Councilwoman Harrison's um, proposal, um, because I really do think that it is all about uh, affordable housing and about um, the fees that are needed to create uh, deeply affordable housing. Um, BMR and inclusionary units um, are good and they are needed uh, and they mostly target a higher income uh, level um, of about 80% of AMI. In order to reach a lower income level, you need to gather fees from projects, put them together, leverage them with other money, that's how you get 100% affordable housing projects. So 
um, we need to keep collecting the fees, especially as the bond lost at the ballot um, last November. Um, so I don't want to see um, uh, fee discounts at this point until the feasibility study comes back. Um, I want to see uh, things assessed um, by square footage. Um, and uh, I believe that uh, continuing to collect the uh, maximum amount of fees that we can uh, under the current structure um, is is what we should is what we should be doing. So um, thank you very much for your consideration. I I know that council will come forward with uh, a good proposal. Thank you, Janice Ching, followed by Paola Laverde. Thank you. Good evening, Council. I have to say something a little uh, probably unpopular. Oh, well, first of all, I'm a longtime resident of District 3, and so I was really happy to hear my Council Member Ben Bartlett making affordable housing the priority. And so that's prompting me to say something rather unpopular, which is we should not have any fee we should require all of the 20% affordable units to be built on site. And then we wouldn't even need to have this discussion. Um, and that is the best way to reach our arena goals, especially for the low income renters. Um, okay, and then I um, have a simple way to translate for council member Robinson. I was not a math major, I was an anthropology major, but the simple way to trans translate the per unit fee to a per square foot fee is this. The old fee was about $37,000 a unit. Multiply that by the four units and you get $148,000. Divide that by $56 per square foot and you get 2,643 square feet. Do not give double the discount. Start at 3,000 square feet. This would easily let council member Taplin's neighbor get her 35, I mean, sorry, her 75,000 fee exemption. This is a very simple math problem. If you, um, and in that 3,000 square feet, you could easily fit four of Council Member Taplin and Humbert's two bedroom units, 650 square feet. Also, by calculating per square foot, you're already using a sliding scale that adjusts to the size of the building, so you shouldn't need to have anything else. The development industry has and will continue to game the system. You know, using the the size that Taplin and Humbert are proposing, they could build 12 350 square foot units into your 4,500 square foot exemption and make a huge profit. The only way to incentivize on-site housing is by making the fee pay to build the unit somewhere else. So let's start with high fees and see what the feasibility study will show. Why give a bigger discount than you're already giving? We're on track to far exceed our market rate arena goals with the discounts we're already giving. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, unfortunately, um, uh, staff had accidentally um, lowered the hands of the speakers. So I'd like to ask if if anyone would like to speak, please re please re raise your hand. Apologies. I know Paolo Laveda was the next speaker. But if you would like to speak and you have not already spoken on um, item 13, please raise your hand at this time. Okay, we'll go to Ms. Laverde now. Ms. Laverde, you should now be able to speak. 
Yes, uh, good evening, Mr. Mayor and city council members. With all due respect, it is time to put the money where your mouth is. You've all, you've talked about the importance of building affordable housing. Here is the opportunity to raise that money for real. There is no reason why a development to uh, any development to be exempted or get a discount. The units built will not provide a discount to the tenants. And in order for Berkeley to build affordable housing, it will need money. So developers who will be making market rate profits on rents need to pay their fair share to the kitty. You should approve council members council member Harrison's proposal for charging fifty six twenty five per square foot on all development with no exceptions or discount for size for any development refusing to build affordable housing. It's fiscally irresponsible for the city and for any of you to think that developers should get a discount. Measure L did not pass because not enough homeowners wanted to foot the bill for affordable housing. So providing that money should fall on all developers with zero discounts. It's a no brainer. And to classify missing middle housing does not equal missing middle income. Just because the size of the project is between a single family and a large apartment building doesn't mean it will be affordable to the middle class families. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, Kelly Hammergren is our next speaker, followed by Igor Trego. Um, thank you. Uh, so I'm going to go to my notes here. So the last full nexus study in 2015 was based on 900 square foot units. Um, the, uh, the most common size average unit now in large projects is 750 square feet. Um, I'd just like to remind everybody that I attend the DRC meetings and I attend the ZAB meetings and I've probably missed only one in the last several years. Um, and then in the answer to Wengraf's question about the smaller projects, what we're seeing come to ZAB right now are triplexes. But more commonly, what we see is a single family home being demolished and three, um, three houses built on that one parcel. Uh, that, that is the most common project that I see at the, at the ZAB meetings repeatedly. Uh, when the Nexus study was done in 2015, a one bedroom apartment at that time rented for $1,529. That was the average rental. Um, if you, in the new uh, housing elements, uh, the rental that they put down for 2020 was $2,085. And for the median for a one bedroom apartment was $3,125. So in the intervening years, um, we've had very little change in our in-lieu fee, but our rents have gone up. You say there's inflation in construction. There's also significant inflation in rentals. I strongly support and beg for you to support Council Member Harrison's measure. It, it makes sense. There's a lot of detail put in there. Um, 
And I, I just really hope that you would do that. Thank you. Igor Tregev, followed by Lynn Cooper. Good evening, Mayor and Council, and happy Valentine's Day again. And uh, it's been just, first of all, want to really appreciate the policy-related discussion. Um, I think that there is a lot of convergence here around common themes, and I'm confident that something that is close to a consensus can be arrived at tonight. I think in general, having seen these discussions play out for over a decade now, um, I think we're getting to a better place when we are considering going from per unit to per square foot. Uh, the main message that I wanted to convey is support for the council member Harrison version of this. Uh, along similar lines as to what others, including Jonathan Altman and Sophia DeWitt have already mentioned. I have seen on the ZAB uh, this play out uh, and I think it is important that there is an opportunity uh, to achieve uh, housing, at various affordability levels where the city currently falls short. Uh, and the best way to do that, uh, I believe, is to ensure that the fees are there, particularly after Measure L tragically lost at the ballot box. And I know no one worked harder to try to get it passed than you all did. Uh, it's going to be even harder to find funding for these actual deed-restricted affordable projects without these fees. Um, and so that is my plea to you, is to ensure that that happens. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Lynn Cooper, followed by, well, Lee, this is Carol Morasovic, call with the number ending 060. Okay, thanks for uh, thanks to Kate and Ben, who's my um, council member, for reminding everybody this is about building affordable housing, and um, I support Kate's proposal 13B without exemptions or reductions for smaller projects. Janice's proposal that all developers must build affordable housing, affordable units, in they are eliminating the option of in lieu fees. It's insane that we are not, housing is not for, um, we don't, builders, developers who just decide not to build affordable housing is because they are only interested in profit, not in housing. They don't need an in-lieu fee discount. Um, they, this is, we're not giving a real estate industry, a, this is not a real estate giveaway. And I think we really need to focus on the needs of people in the city of Berkeley, the waiters, the busboys, the janitors, the people who clean our streets, all those people, they need housing. And Kate's proposal is a move in the right direction. We are not here to provide profit for developers. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Carol Morasovic, call up the number ending 060. 
followed by Christopher Hamilton. Please unmute yourself, please press star six. Um, thank you. Uh, four years ago, the Homeless Commission came before council and asked that a nexus study uh, be conducted to look towards incentivizing additional below market rate units. And we, we presented to council several options and somehow this was folded into something. And this is uh, something that council had directed towards staff. Uh, and I don't believe that anything really specifically came back as to the various options that we presented. Uh, this is about affordable housing, and we have to look at the income categories we're talking about. When we're talking about very low income, people that don't actually um, know what these categories are may think, oh, this is uh, persons that are at the lowest level. These are people who make up to $50,000. When we're talking about low income, we're talking about up to $74,200. If we don't, this is the middle for many, many people that live in our community, that work in our community. This is, they will not make more than that in income. And uh, it is clearly so important that we incentivize that there be additional below market rate units as opposed to encouraging uh, discounts and the in lieu fees, uh, which will disincentivize the affordable housing that you all voted for when you chose to put Al on the ballot. Thank you. Christopher Hamilton is our next speaker, followed by Dr. Derivia Duval. Christopher Hamilton should now be able to speak. Uh, I believe I'm not muted anymore, correct? Yes, we can hear you, sir. Okay, thank you very much. I just wanted to support Councilwoman Harrison's proposal. Um, it seems to me the most thoughtful uh, presentation here tonight. It, it, um, I think to me, we need to have uh, more housing built, but we sh should not allow the for-profit builders to not pay appropriate fees. And so uh, I, I cannot see supporting the amendment that was proposed by Councilmember Humbert and Taplin. Um, Councilmember Harrison's proposal was the thing you should accept. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, our next speaker is Dorothea Duval, followed by Jonah Gottlieb. Good evening. Um, I think that if we support a Councilman Taplin and Hubbard's amendment, where what we are supporting is economic redlining. If you say you want to build affordable housing in Berkeley, and then you're going to give corporations uh, uh, an out, matter of fact, a windfall of not having to pay to build affordable housing, they're not going to build affordable housing. And what you end up getting is what I call economic redlining. The same people will not be able to afford houses, as you say, teachers and the people who work in and will end up like Nantucket, 
where all the people who work in Nantucket, the teachers, the firemen, the policemen, the, the uh, office workers, people who even work for the city will have to boat out of Berkeley because they won't be able to afford it. No corporation and no developer should get any kind of pass, any kind of exemption at all who should get the exemption are the people, the people who are paying for the increase in everything but their salaries. And so I think if Berkeley is going to be the city that it always touts to the world that it is, then we should make all the developers pay. And they'll still build here because it's still a, a desirable place to live. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, our last raised hand I see is Jonah Gottlieb. So I'll ask, are there any other attendees who have not already spoken that would like to speak? Please raise your hand at this time. Okay, our next speaker is Jonah Gottlieb. Please unmute yourself. Oh, there was Jonah Gottlieb. Jonah, you should now be able to speak. Thank you. Uh, yeah, my name is Jonah Gottlieb. I'm speaking in my capacity as the secretary of the Berkeley Tenants Union. Um, I want to uh, just appreciate the comments that Council Members Bartlett and Harrison made right before we uh, had our recess um, that have been echoed by the vast majority of the community who have spoken out tonight um, about prioritizing affordable housing, because that is what these fees are designed for. That's what this whole program is about. Um, and so in, uh, in relation to uh, Council Members Taplin and Humbert's uh, reference to naturally affordable housing, um in their supplemental um so that was really taken out of context because naturally affordable housing is used to describe things like rent controlled housing things that we know are going to be affordable without regulation without the government stepping in to do something nothing is naturally affordable that's why we regulate housing that's why we build affordable housing is so that we can make sure that housing is affordable because if left unchecked Developers will just build housing for the most expensive price possible, and the people who live here will be priced out of the community that they've lived here for decades. Students will continue to commute from Richmond and El Cerrito or live in their cars or be crammed into, you know, six people into a unit. Um, and so we really need to be incentivizing uh, as much money for affordable housing as possible in this city. Um, and so I support Councilmember Harrison's proposal, which with as small of an exemption as possible, so that we can have as much money as possible to build affordable housing in all neighborhoods in our community. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is former Councilmember Cheryl Davila, followed by the caller with the number ending 990. Thank you. Um, happy V Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Black History, History Month. And um, it would be nice if we could see all of you if you're in the meeting because a couple people are missing and then they pop in. So it would be nice if they're not on screen to just have their name, just like in any other Zoom process um, that goes on um, so that we know that you're here um, and not popping in because you got a text to show up or something. But anyway, I think um, I've been a resident in Berkeley for 42 years in District 2. 
and a renter. Um, and I think a feasibility study should happen before any decisions made. Um, I don't think you can really decide on these things without having a feasibility study that's current. And um, I think it's, I heard the word scheme mentioned before um, and, and said, it was said something like, it's not a scheme, it's, it's not an arbitrary scheme, but I think it's a scheme. It's kind of a scam to the residents of Berkeley, like what's going on here, because you cannot give any gifts to developers. They don't need it. It shouldn't be part of the process. It shouldn't be no discounts, nothing. I mean, we need 100% affordable housing period. We have a lot of market rate. We have a lot of vacancies. We have a lot of empty buildings that nobody lives in. There's things that we can do and we need a units for low income, low, low, very low. BMR doesn't make it necessarily affordable. So we need to make sure that the units are affordable and that we don't give any breaks to the developers. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go to the caller with the number ending 990. Please press star six to unmute. Hi, this is John Renuzzi calling and I want to support um, Kate Harrison's proposal and also thoughtful, thoughtful comments that were given throughout the meeting in support of that proposal. Uh, thank you, Ben Bartlett, uh, also and more. Uh, I'm in District 3 and I'm glad that you are looking at housing, and it, 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 but I do believe in what uh, was said that we need feasibility first versus goals in theory. Um, we know that we have a housing crisis and it's, it's dreadful what is happening to our city. Uh, the high buildings and people are cold on those streets. I look at the city in, in different ways and then I'm looking at the ground level for, the, for homeless people that are, that are desperate out there. Also low income, also myself that is of elder age. And so we have a lot of work to do, but I'm glad at least that we're together looking on these issues. Thank you very much. Thank you. Donna DeMar is our last raised hand. This is the last call for public comment. Donna, um, you should now be able to speak. Thank you. Um, I live in North Berkeley where we are always depicted as being rich, white, and NIMBY. My own neighborhood has single family homes, duplexes, and apartments. We have both owners and renters. And I want to make it clear that we would all welcome inclusiveness development developed here. I wish to endorse Council Member Harrison's proposal to make it more expensive for developers to buy their way out of developing uh, affordable building, affordable housing. With the development of North Berkeley BART imminent, this is absolutely essential. Uh, I urge you to accept her proposal and reject the proposal from the other two council members. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
I don't see any other raised hands from attendees wishing to testify on item 13. So I will now make a motion to close the public hearing. Is there a second? Second. Second. Seconded by Councilmember Hahn. Thank you. So I'd like to ask the clerk to call the roll on closing the public hearing. Councilmember Kesserwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Vice Mayor Bartlett, are you there? Why don't we come we'll, back to him? We'll come back. Yes, yes, I'm here. Great. To close the public hearing? Council yes. Hall? Yes, thank you. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Argin? Yes. Okay, the public hearing is now closed. Thank you all so much for um, staying on to um, participate in this discussion and really appreciate all the thoughtful comments from um, members of our community on this important issue. I'd now like to exercise the chair's prerogative and make a motion. My motion is that we adopt item 13B as submitted by council member Harrison with the following modifications. And let me share screen to pull up the revised text. Um, uh, okay. Is there any way, well, let, me, let me zoom out. Okay, can everyone, everyone should be able to see that. So it'd be amending the language under section 23328050, the section entitled implementation, be modifying the language in uh, subsection F2 um, of the proposed ordinance to read as follows. A residential housing, and these are these are the um, types of housing development projects that are exempt from the chapter. So um, the new subsection two will read a housing development project with 5,000 square feet or less of residential floor area, unless it is part of a larger housing development project. This exemption shall expire on April 1st, 2025, or at such time as the city council modifies or appeals this exemption whichever date is sooner. And then an amendment is, is needed to the resolution, and this would be under the now therefore be it resolved section. Um, so be revising it to say 5,000 square feet of residential unit floor area is roughly equivalent to four residential units at an average of 1,250 square feet per unit. Um, and then as part of the motion, um, I would also like to provide direction um, that we refer the sliding scale ramp down as previously proposed by staff to the upcoming feasibility analysis. Um, so that's my motion. Second. Thank you. Okay. Um, Council member Robinson and then Han, then Harrison and Kesawani. Uh, good evening. Thank you all for your comments and insights. That is more or less the motion that I would have made. So in the interests of both adopting sensible policy and liberating everyone a little early on this Valentine's Day, I will lower my hand. Thank you. Councilmember Hahn. I lowered my hand. I'm ready to vote. Thank you. Yeah, hopefully you all can spend some time with your your partners after we adjourn. I got I got my box of chocolates while I was sitting here and I I'm lucky if I'll have 25 minutes. So I'd really like to vote. Okay, uh, Councilmember Harrison. 
Yes, I, I seconded this motion, even though I think 5,000 square feet is too big. We know from the 2015 study that the average size was 900 square feet. And we also know that larger buildings build smaller units. But in the interest of accommodating what I think are the most important principles, I think this is a good direction to go in. We're, we're looking at evaluating the ramp down. We're looking at changing it to square foot. And we're making sure that that, that date that I objected to is not the final answer, but is whichever is sooner. So in that uh, vein, I think this is a really good movement and I really appreciate everyone's participation. I only wanna say one more thing. And that is we asked people, homeowners, tenants to vote for affordable housing. And we can't ask them to do that if we're not going to have the people that make the money off of building housing, i.e. developers also pay. And I will just warn all of you, to the extent we continue to give them a break, we will continue to lose these ballot measures. The middle class in this town is angry. They're angry at us and we need to think about it. So I really appreciate the mayor's work and Councilman Robinson and Hahn and all the other comments. But I think that we are treading in very dangerous territory here where we look like we're giving a break to other people and asking homeowners to pay for everything. And I think we have to stop doing that. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Somebody who has fought very hard for affordable housing my entire public service career. I completely agree, which is why I think that this, this action is appropriate. I was concerned about modifying 30 years of city policy to uh, not require projects of more than five units to have to contribute to the need for affordable housing. And I didn't frankly think there was a compelling reason for that, but we'll certainly have more discussion as the feasibility analysis progresses. And this goes back to the planning commission. Councilmember Kisarwani. Yes, Mr. Mayor, I just want to make sure I'm understanding your motion because you're saying you're working off of Councilmember Harrison's supplemental, correct? Yeah. Okay, so because you, you just showed um, changes about the 5,000, going to 5,000 square feet and exempting under that, but how are you treating 5,000 to 12,000 square feet? Because what I heard you say was you're referring the sliding scale. Anything above 5,000 has to pay the fee. Um, and and um, so it's going to pay the full fifty six dollars and twenty five cents. That was what Harrison had proposed. Yes. Okay. So I um, I can't support that, and the reason why is because I'm really concerned because our housing element on page one sixty six of one thousand three hundred eighty five pages it made a commitment in the specific actions and timeline for middle housing. It says by June 2023, amend affordable housing fee schedule to introduce a sliding scale for projects with less than 12,000 gross square feet. And I think the action tonight, given the fact that our housing element has not been certified by HCD, and we're going to take an action to water down commitments in the housing element, I think that is very risky. And I am not going to support that. I, I do not think that we should be doing away and referring the sliding scale. And I, I think it's important for me to say this on the public record that uh, we are watering down the commitment made in our housing element right now. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I'll just say that's why we included that referral as part of the feasibility analysis and further work on amendments. This isn't the last time we're gonna be making adjustments to this policy. 
Um, and so, you know, we made a commitment to the state. We need to honor that commitment when we make further modifications to the policy because they they will need to we need to demonstrate progress towards implementing that. Um, and I frankly think we need to exercise caution in how we talk about our housing element because we want a certified housing element. At least I want a certified housing element. Councilor Taplin. Uh, thank you. Um, I, um, forgive me if this did come up earlier and I missed it, but uh, during the first round, Councilor Wengraff had a question for staff um, along the lines of how many, you know, fourplexes have we seen built in the city in the past 30 years? Did that get answered? No. I don't, did staff have the number? Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I didn't realize that was a specifically uh, asked question of us. We don't have that number handy, but that's something that we can look at and get back to. Yeah, that, that would be great. Um, one thing that's come up before is that there is a uh, a preference um, among, you know, many of us, I would include myself, for uh, conversion projects, people who are, you know, subdividing or modifying their homes over new build um, as a way to preserve our existing housing stock and also, um, you know, to just be less disruptive. Um, and I, those are those are the projects I am always thinking about when it comes to missing middle. Um, we see a number of of aplexes that do look like large single family homes, but are actually aplexes, and that was the reasoning behind um, the sub that I put forward. It wasn't to give anyone uh, any kind of break. Um, it was to give our our homegrown live live in homeowners a chance to benefit from the ability to house their loved ones or accommodate their families or downsize or supplement their income or what have you um because uh, i do think that those are the people who will be most impacted um by these changes thank you thank you um you know i want to i'm going to modify my ref my referral um, to be, because I think Councillor Kisarwani raises a good point, we want to be consistent with the language that's in our adopted house, although we're still making changes to our adopted housing element because the state wants us to make corrections. I think what we need to do is refer, refer to the city manager and the planning commission to implement uh, a sliding scale for projects under 12,000 square feet as part of further revisions to the ordinance and um, based on the analysis of the feasibility study. So I'd like to make that modification to my motion. So it's making an explicit commitment that we will make subsequent amendments to implement the sliding scale as, as noted in the, in the housing element draft um, when we uh, consider the results of the feasibility study and make further modifications to the ordinance. So I, I like to- uh, I was the seconder. No, I think I was. I'm pretty sure. Why don't we ask the clerk? I have Councilmember Harrison as the seconder of the motion. Thank you. Um, I, I guess my my concern about that, I agree with that in principle. I just don't know that we want to say the number 12,000 because the way that Mr. Jacobus described it is they had a rate at the very bottom and they built up to create a really elegant ramp up, just like marginal taxation. And that answer might turn out to be 13. So I just don't want it. You know what I'm saying? 
I, I, I think being fixed on that is a problem, but I like the idea of generally moving up from whatever we decide this bottom number is. Um, I guess, let me ask, um, the housing element says 12,000, so I think we need to stick with that number respectfully. And Mr. Klein could, you know, I guess I'd like to direct my question to you. Um, what is the timeline that we committed to again? Uh, in the housing element for the, I, I believe it's June, 2023. Uh-huh. So, I mean. Uh, Mayor, as you noted, um, there are pending amendments to uh, the housing element in response to comments that we received uh, from HCD. We can amend this action item to more accurately reflect the city council's action to um, update our affordable housing regulations. Okay. I mean, I'll just note for the record that, you know, uh, setting 5,000 square feet as the threshold and then anything under that is also a ramp down to exempt smaller projects consistent with our existing policy. Um, so yes, I, I'm once again making that modification to my motion. This is second or agreeable to ensure no. that consistency. No, I won't second that with the then mention of 12,000. I will restate my motion with that amendment and will Councilor Han second my motion. Councilor Rahan, will you second my motion? So there is a motion. Because yes. Okay, thank you. I, just I think to... I seconded it anyway, but I'm happy to do it again. Thank you. So um, I want to ensure that that there is consistency with what we said in the housing element draft. I'll note that it's a draft and we're still making changes, and I'm in conversation with the director of HCD. So um but you know, I think we need to honor the principle of what we had stated if we're not doing it tonight to make an explicit commitment that we'll do it in future amendments. Um, Councilor Humbert. Yeah, I just quickly wanna say that I join in um, uh, Council Member Kessarwani's uh, statements of concern. Uh, I'm afraid if we back down on our pledge to Institute the sliding scale by June 23rd. That that's that's going to be a problem. Um, I think it's a step back, and and we need to take steps forward to meet the requirements of of HCD. Thank you. Uh, okay, I think Councilor Kesserwani is our next speaker. Yes, uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. I just wanted to clarify. So your amended piece here on the sliding scale. Could you just repeat what, what it is now? Um, that as uh, refer to the city manager and the planning commission to implement a sliding scale for, um, and let me bring up the resolution, um, for housing development projects of less than 12,000 square feet of residential unit four area. Um, uh, and uh, you know, as part of the uh, feasibility analysis that that staff is conducting, um, and you know, frankly, I think it's a question. You know, we said June two thousand twenty-three because we were that was on the basis of a prior action. I mean, I don't know how. You know, with the understanding that council is making this commitment that we're going to implement a sliding scale, but it may be this. You know, a few months later, 
um, how substantive of a change that is and whether that constitutes um, a housing element not being substantial compliance, I would respectfully disagree. If we're making an explicit commitment that we're going to do this and we're only talking about a few months, I don't I don't understand why that would decertify our housing element. Okay, well, I because I, I, I think the, the issue for me is that um, you know, staff had said that the date that by which they thought it was reasonable for them to come back with a feasibility study, the outside date was April 2025. So my concern is there's a big difference between a commitment of June 2023 and then potentially not being able to actually implement this until April 2025, even if you're a year earlier, April 2024, that's a big difference from what our housing element currently commits to. Uh, so so I, I just don't feel inclined to take this risk. And I will acknowledge that nobody really knows what the state housing and community development department is going to say. I think, um, you know, we, we thought we were in compliance with, with what we voted on on January 18th, and we were not. So I'm not inclined to take this risk. Um, and so with that, I'd like to make a substitute motion for 13A, the staff version but to make the change that instead of saying four units and less, we would change it to 5,000 square feet and less to be exempted. Uh, so that's my motion. I I'll second. second okay, I think Councilor Humber was the first person I heard who seconded it. Um, okay, um, I guess before we go to Councilor Harrison, I wanna ask Mr. Klein a question. So. <laughs> You understand what we're talking, what I'm talking about here, and um, I guess what I'm, what I'd like to get a sense from staff is, is what is a date by which we can do this realistically? Yeah, Mayor Ergin, um we have been. Uh, HHCS has been actually um, very actively working on the uh, solicitation to um, yeah. engage a consultant to conduct feasibility analysis. Um, I think, you know, we, we're talking about potentially even getting it out as soon as the end of this month possible, although, that you know, that would obviously be, be tough. Um, but, you know, necessarily to go through the solicitation process, contracting, conduct the um conduct the actual work and then bring it back before even if we totally fast track the work itself and then the policy consideration itself and even if we went and this is not typically how we do business but even we went straight to public hearing and planning commission came right back to city council for action just the logistics of the calendar mean i think the the, the so very soonest we could pull that off would be you know, by the end of this calendar year, really early, early 2024 um, is, is and, and again, our typical policymaking process is a little bit more deliberate than that. It, it often involves a work session at city council, followed by initial informational conversations with planning commission and deliberation before going to, um, before going to public hearing and and then sometimes multiple meetings at city council, as we've seen with this item. Um, and so, you know, the, a more typical process would be more like 18 months or longer. Um, so, so that's. 
that's my best answer uh, in terms of, of, of the timing. I do think that, as I mentioned earlier, we, we do have an opportunity to update the housing element to reflect whatever action council takes on this. And we could, you know, I, I would want to, obviously, I, I would want to talk to our project team about any edits and potentially engage with HCD about any edits from what the city has already committed in the, in the previous public drafts that have been reviewed. Uh, and commented on by HCD. Okay, well, I guess I think I think the challenge with this is that um, we hadn't adopted the second reading of this ordinance, but we yet we already committed to something in a draft. So now we're in this position where, you know, we had. Now the council the council is considering another you know modification to that. Um, I mean, I guess do you, what do you advise with respect to how we deal with this issue? I mean, I mean, I'm saying that we're making an explicit yeah. commitment. The question of I don't think we can make the June 2023 timeline, but we got to give them a date. So let's can we you know as part of the direction have a conversation with HCD around what date. They they want us to implement this by. Yes, we could do that. We could have that conversation. Yeah, because I know that the amendments that you're contemplating, there are some adjustments to dates as well, on the basis of uh, HCD's um, re request for more specific commitment of timelines on implementation of specific programs. So I think if we make the commitment, we're going to do this, and we work with HCD on coming up with a realistic time frame for when. Those amendments can be uh, adopted on, in a time frame that's satisfactory to HCD. I think that satisfies the issue, frankly. And I just want to, you know, frankly caution council members with respect to writing letters to HCD. That doesn't help the city of Berkeley to ensure we have a compliant housing element. I'll just say that. Councilmember Hahn. Well, first of all, I just like to say I really don't think we should be committing to doing things in our housing element that we haven't done. We can commit to looking at them, we can commit to concepts, but to commit to something as explicit as, you know, starting a ramp down at a specific number when the council hasn't acted on it is, I don't think is appropriate. And I would, I would just be interested, um, I, I don't have my copy of this, of what we approved in front of me, but Mr. Klein, I don't remember being, you were very clear with me when we discussed this, that staff was not writing in any commitment to do things that council hadn't done yet. So could you refresh my memory of what, what this passage actually says? Because I don't recall it being a firm commitment to do it, but to look at it. But I'd just like to actually hear the exact language. Sure. The, the exact language um, in question here, I believe, is the specific action uh, under, uh, oh gosh, I just lost it, under program, twenty nine middle housing, page 146, or yeah, uh, spe specific action is by June 2023, 
amend affordable housing fee schedule to introduce a sliding scale for projects with less than 12,000 square feet. See also program three citywide affordable housing requirements. All right, well, I, I don't think we should make commitments to do things we haven't done yet. The whole point of having them come before us, go to the planning commission, and then actually have a conversation about them is that we don't have all the information until we've considered it. Now we have the information. And, um, you know, we want a different set of data in front of us um, to do any kind of a ramp down. We want to actually have real data. Um, you know, <laughs> we don't even know if this is, this is necessary. We don't know what the feasibility is gonna, study is gonna say. Maybe the feasibility study is gonna say that, that um, you know, single family developments are so expensive that um, the market for them is insensitive to a small increase in price. And therefore we could impose a larger fee on them. Seems to me if someone can afford 1.5 or $2 million, they can probably afford 2.25 million. And so maybe that's where we should be getting our affordable housing fees. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen the data, but it, I can imagine a scenario where actually when you get to very small projects, the realistic price that you can get for them is so high that the added quote unquote burden of an affordable housing fee is insignificant. That is a reasonable outcome from the study. Why would we be pre-committing to ramp down the fees on projects that may be most able to carry a fee and that do generate a need for affordable housing, just like all our other projects? So, I mean, I, you know, I think that is a problem. I'm much more interested in talking to HCD. We, there's a little bit of time before. What did we say, June? What, what is the date that you've got in there? It's June, 2023. Okay, great. So there's a little bit of time between now and June. What I would like to do personally is go back to the mayor's original motion and then go and talk to HCD and explain to them that we actually wanna make a database decision. And we don't want to exempt projects that might be very, very well suited to carry an affordable housing fee. And if they absolutely don't accept that, there's time between now and June for us to make a different decision. Today is not the last day. So I don't think we need to uh, make a decision that we don't think is well-founded today just because something got put in the housing element when we still have the opportunity to talk to HCD, explain to them that the council is committed to looking at ramp downs or ramp up, that we are committed to looking at actual data and making a balanced decision. So, and if, if HCD really is impossible, and maybe some of my colleagues will be calling them up and lobbying them, I don't know. 
but um, we can always come back. There's more time before June. Thank you. Councilmember Harrison. Yeah, there's there's a lot of detail in the housing element. For example, we have a thing that we commit by December of 2023 to hire five additional staff. I doubt we're going to make that given our staffing crisis. These things are not all at the same level. And I think that's something really important to point out. The big picture, from my point of view, from HCD, as they said, when responding to the housing element, is that we had identified locations that were not likely to become development sites. And you've dealt with that, Mr. Klein, and I really appreciate that. And they also indicated that we were not sufficiently furthering fair housing at all income levels. We are ignoring our obligation to build affordable housing under the state rules and not our obligation to build market rate housing. We are picking and choosing between phrases here. We are also jumping over a public process that you knew we were in the middle of. And I just don't accept this. I will not vote for this. I, we are letting bureaucracy be in charge of logic and what our community needs. It's unacceptable to me. I think that everyone was on a good path. I think we should do what Councilmember Hahn said, which is talk with HCD. We're making other changes. We can make this change, which is to say, we're looking roughly at 12 units. We want to see what it looks like when the data comes in. The answer might be 13. It might be 11. Do you care? All I'm saying is sticking with 12 when we don't have any data is really arbitrary. Just like saying we're going to hire five additional staff, including two inspectors, one administrative staff person, and two additional inspectors by this date. We're not going to make that either. So I think, I'm sorry, I think this is a fake problem. We should go back to what the mayor originally suggested. I thought it was a good suggestion, although I still think 5,000 is too big. And we should also remember our housing goals and our housing plan is not just about market rate housing. It is also about the housing that our people actually who live here now need. And if that offends people, I'm sorry. But, you know, I have to worry about the people here now and the people here in the future who are lower income teachers, people that work at the university as secretaries, people that don't have the possibility maybe of living somewhere else. Those are our people, too. And we always act like we don't recognize them. They're not there. So I did, the last thing I want to say is I really appreciate Councilmember Taplin's idea. Again, I want to reiterate my commitment to working with him on differentiating and maybe another piece of legislation between owner occupants and developers. And maybe we can think of some way to do that outside of this context, because I think you've made an incredibly important point. And I don't want to, us to lose track of that, you and, and Councilmember Humbert. But um, I can't vote for this because we're letting bureaucracy prevail over what our community needs. And that's just not acceptable to me. And our community needs affordable housing. Thank you. What are you not going to vote for? Because uh, the substitute motion, because I do not accept that the answer is 12. The answer might be something else. We don't know. We've already just for, don't forget. We said starting at 12 based on a rational fee schedule. We don't have a rational fee schedule. We've already gone to 2020 which already doesn't recognize the savings developers have realized from not providing parking. It doesn't realize the savings they've realized from having closer in um, lines in terms of distance from the curb. I forget what that's called, setbacks. We've done a lot of things since 2020, and yet we didn't reflect that in these numbers because that was the last study we did. We did a rational thing because we decided that's what Mr. Jacobus has studied. Mr. Jacobus admitted in this forum that he had not really studied 12,000 square feet. Okay. I don't even know where that number came from. I understand your point now. You understand my point? Yeah, you were, or, you were addressing the substitute motion. Yeah, I'm talking on the substantive motion. I thought your first motion was great. 
I mean, basically what I'm saying is we're committing to do this. Let's work with HCD on a time frame to implement it, given that council's taking this action. All I'm asking is we say approximately 12. I don't understand 12. how that is going to result in having a housing element that's not compliant. And I would hope that the council members would exercise caution and ensure the city of Berkeley does have a compliant housing element. That's our response. I'm saying 12 is not sacred to HCD. They don't even know about our 12. It could say approximately 12. And they would be equally happy. The I my my motion's clear. So okay. Councilor Taplin. Uh thank you. I'll just say very briefly, uh Councilman Harrison, thank you so much. I look forward to working with you on that. Um and of course, of course. And um and I, I just was wanna, you know, did want to say that we we're all committed to affordable housing. That does include uh housing for moderate income households um who are the um intention target for middle housing technologies. Um, and that is an area uh, where we have struggled to to um, fulfill our obligations under RENA. Um, uh, that being said, um, I, I do think, I do feel confident that our housing element will be certified. I'm not worried about that um, either way. Um, I do wanna, um, I do wanna commend staff for their hard work and their responsiveness to all of us in the community. Um, and I'm confident that we will uh, we will be able to have a survey element. Thank you. Okay, thank you. I think we've we know what the motions are, um, but I'll restate them. Substitute motion is the language in item 13A from staff, um, but I believe um, is substituting um, for establishing. I think uh, an exemption at 5,000 square feet or less, correct, Councillor Kesawani? Yes, that's correct. And it would involve, I guess, a, a modified sliding scale on the resolution um, for 12,000 to 5,000, correct? Yes, and, and I would add that the motion would also include your language, uh, Mr. Mayor, stating that we would adopt um, a revised scale uh, after we conduct the feasibility study on April 20th, or excuse me, April 2025 or sooner if feasible, that, that same sentence that you had there. Okay, so I just want to be clear about the language of the motion. Then the May motion is to adopt 13B from Harrison um, with the revisions that I read into the record. Um, and it, we would not be adopting a sliding scale today, but would be referring to the City Manager and Planning Commission um, to study and implement a sliding fee schedule for um, housing development projects of less than 12,000 square feet um, and to consider the results of the feasibility study and then to work with HCD on a uh, uh, agreeable schedule for the implementation of this particular program in the housing element. Councillor Tapping, you raise your hand again. That's okay, Councilor Han. Yeah, just a um, procedural question. Uh -huh. When you rescinded your original motion and restated it, and I seconded it the second time, I believe it became the substitute motion, and that we would vote on that first. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to consult uh, our parliamentarians on that question. 
Um, thank you for checking in. The mayor uh, restated his motion prior to council member Keserwani making the substitute motion. Perfect. Thank you for clarifying. So kiss, the Keserwani motion is a substitute. Mine is the main. Um, I think both the Keserwani motion would implement the sliding scale today. The My motion would make it a commitment that we would adopt amendments to implement a sliding scale and work with HCD on amending the housing element on a timetable to implement that that's agreeable to both to HCD and the city of Berkeley. Council, uh, Councilmember Wengroff. What is really the substantive difference between the two motions? I, I, I would defer to uh, Councilor Harrison about that because the main thing that she was trying to address was to not have this sliding scale, but to set to set a a floor of a certain amount. I think she had proposed three thousand square feet, so that certain types of projects are not um, exempt from that. Um, but I, I would. But you've amended that to be five thousand square feet. Correct. So it's 5,000 square feet with a sliding scale at some point in the future, or the substitute is 5,000 square feet with the sliding scale that staff has recommended in their staff report. Correct. That, so, I mean, it's a very fine difference. In, in substance, they're actually the same, especially since the proposed staff recommendation on the sliding scale is subject to change when we get the feasibility study. So I just feel like we're maybe splitting hairs here. And I think it would be much better, especially in view of HCD's um, uh, magnifying glass on us um, if it was a unanimous vote. Um, well, can I, do you mind if I ask Councilman Harrison to address why she proposed that we eliminate the sliding scale? Sure. I'm not really sure we should eliminate a sliding scale altogether. I'm saying that the sliding scale that was chosen was based on a scale that went all the way to zero that was established by Mr. Jacobus, and we've eliminated that bottom. We don't know what the scale should be, and he admitted he didn't know 12,000 square feet was the right answer. 12,000 square feet at 750 square feet per unit, which is the average in the housing studies we've done, excuse me, it's not 1250, is 18 units. An 18 unit project could be quite significant. Am I going to give a break to people that are building 18 units? No, I'm not. So I don't agree with the sliding scale, not in concept, but with the exact details. Also, the difference with my motion is, and that the mayor accepted, was saying April 2025, or whichever is earlier, which I think is an important element, which you want to include in either case. But we are now doing something we have never done before. We have a lot of projects on transit corridors that are up to 15, 16, 17, 18 units, and we're saying you don't pay as much. They've always paid. They've been paying, they've been building. And I don't see why we're doing this. I think we're making a mistake. I think I would like to go back and ask Mr. Jacobus to specifically study whether the sliding scale makes sense, given the ability of developers to pay, not just given the fact he's trying to hit some number at the bottom. That's the difference. 
And I'm feeling very uncomfortable that we are taking the housing element as sacred when there are so many things in here that we're not going to do. I could read you this. 60% of affordable housing and opportunity. I'm going to finish. I, I know, but we are just addressing the issue of the sliding okay. scale. I, I will raise my hand again, but I will tell you that there are not that many things in here that are definitive, and we are making a mountain out of a molehill. That's my view. But in any event, the date is the other difference. I think it's very important we not do that and say April 25. I think and that's is a the date in the mayor's motion. Yes. That or the earliest of the study that's done by Mr. Jacobus. The staff motion is April 2025. Okay. His is more explicit on the date, which I think is important. All right. I, I think we're ready to vote, to be honest with you. Let's okay. just move on. Um, Councilor Kesarwani, you had your hand up. Uh, no, I, I agree. We, we can just take a vote. You know, I, I was just going to say, you know, I know we all have various opinions on the housing element. What we know about these dates is that what was asked of us on January 30th was to put in interim dates of progress milestones for the affirmatively furthering fair housing actions that we added on January 18th. They are not going to take kindly to pushing dates out. That's not what they have requested in their comment letters. So I, I just feel like I need to state that for the record. That, in my mind, is a risky thing to do, to try to push dates out. What they had asked for was earlier dates, interim dates of when we're going to do things to make sure that we are uh, achieving progress on these goals that are several years out. And by the way, if we do not substantially comply with those milestones, our housing element can be decertified at a later time. And the period of time that it's decertified, a builder's remedy project can be introduced. So I'm not willing to take those risks. And that's why I, I support my substitute motion and I'm ready to vote. Councilman Harrison, you raise your hand. No, I've loaded it. Thank you. Councilman Rahan. Yeah, I just want clarification um, because I think Council Member Harrison said something that confused me. If I understood correctly, Council Member Kesserwani's substitute motion um, includes the mayor's language about um, word for word about the 25th of, I'm, I'm sorry, about 2025, right? Is that correct? and also includes the 5,000 square feet. So the only thing it doesn't include um, from the changes Council Member Harrison proposed is getting rid of the ramp down. Correct. Is that correct? Okay. And Council Member Harrison, were there any other changes in your supplemental? No, those are the three. Thank you. Those were the three. Okay. I just wanted to get clear um, what these two options are. Um, I, I just want to say that um, I think it's very unfortunate that our housing element um, was so definitive about future action. I think we need to take a look. Any place where we are committing to do something in the future, it needs to be a commitment to look at it and not to do something specific. Um, otherwise, uh, we're, we're basically pre-committing the council to do things without any study and without any discussion, which, 
you know, I just don't see how we pre-commit the council to doing things that we don't have any any information on. It, it's, I, I don't think it's the right way to go about things. So I hope that as um, staff uh, and the mayor are, are looking at this and talking with HPD, I really think you need to take a very close look. Because I, I think it's really putting the cart before the horse. Um, and this is a perfect example. Um, I just want to say that uh, no matter what we do here, it's short-lived. Everything can be changed when we get the real data. So I just, you know, I just want to say that we're just talking about something interim. Correct. All right, I'm clear on the motion. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just say for the record, I, I prefer my approach, which is implementing what Councilman Harrison had proposed. I don't think the votes are there. So I'll vote for the subsidy motion. Let's call the roll on the subsidy motion. I, um, can, I can count to five. Point of clarification, the substitute is Council Member Kesterwani's. I get a little lost for, in the Hans. Council Councilmember Kesterwani's motion. Okay, thank you. All right, on the substitute motion, Council Member Kesterwani's motion. Yeah. Council yes. 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 Bartlett. Abstain. Harrison. No. Han. Aye. Wengraff. Can't hear you. Yes. Robinson. Yes. Humbert. Yes. Mayor Argin. Yes. Han. Yes. Seven yeses. Okay, the motion carries. That completes this item. Is there any public comment on anything that's not on the agenda from anyone who's not previously spoken? Seeing none, I move to adjourn. Second. Second. Roll call, please. <laughs> to adjourn, Councilmember Kesarwani. Yes. Taplin. Yes. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. Uh, yes. Han. Yes. Wingraff. Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Argin? Yes. Adjourned. Okay. Hope everyone gets to spend a little bit of time in the two hours left with your significant <laughs> others. Thank you all for participating. Thank you all for joining tonight. Have a good evening. Thank you. Recording stopped. <laughs>